All right, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this No Bed Dogs podcast. Remember, if you're watching this on video format on YouTube or in shorts or however you're consuming this, you can also listen to all my episodes on audio form. Just type in No Bad Dogs on any podcast platform to listen to all my episodes. And we're going to be in the London area next month, September 16th through the 17th, 2023. There's tickets still available. You guys can click the link below in the description to get all the ticket information and all of the event information as well. Thanks for watching. Larry, thanks for coming on. You got it, bud. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. A couple things. Uh, I've been watching you now for years. Used to watch you back in the day when I first started kind of getting into dogs I was like trying to figure because I went from a dog walker to then you know when you I think when you're a dog person you just kind of people are like hey how'd you do that I nobody but and we hired this and you and and I was like yeah and then once I organically started working with dogs I was trying to go online and soak up as much information as I could and you were a big uh, part of that inspiration of that especially when we when I started getting into e-collar work mm -hmm. because I, I got into e-collar work because my dog almost got us both killed on a rail, railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So once I started looking on YouTube for e-collar work and stuff, I was like, wow, this is great. So I'm really excited to have you on. And for those of you listening and watching, uh, I picked up Larry from the airport and I'm trying to not, break into a conversation with this man that I've been wanting to have a conversation with for so long now because I don't want to get into it because I think once we do it'll right. be it'll be weird for me to be hey man we gotta stop we gotta stop here yeah. because this is gonna be I want to save it for the podcast so I guess just really quick for those people maybe who aren't familiar with you and and seeing your face and what you've done um you could just give us a brief kind of background of what you do and who you are and where you're from Oh, well, first, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Um, I remember we talked, it's been a few years since mm -hmm. we talked, right? Yeah. We you were on, I, you were on probably three years ago? Yeah. I, I remember it distinctly because I was laying by my pool getting a tan <laughs> when I, when I was talking <laughs> to you, you know? Um, yeah, you made me feel really old too, by the way. <laughs> so I'm Larry Crone. I own Pack Masters Dog Training. Um, I'm down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So a lot of people think I'm in Nashville because that's where my business really took off from. That's where my, my base clientele basically was for a few specific reasons. So I still spend a lot of time in Nashville. Uh, I've been doing this going on about 27 years now. So I just retired as a federal agent two years ago, and I started both right about the same time, but totally by accident with the dog stuff. And just like many people that we deal with, when me and my wife got married, we got our first dog, and I completely destroyed it. You know, we just made it a total mental weakling. You know, we didn't have kids. That was our baby, and whew, did we mess that dog up. Not intentionally, of course. No one does that, of course, you know. What kind of dog was that? He was a, um, well, I got him from a buddy of mine whose chocolate lab had puppy. I had been looking for a Rottweiler puppy, right? That's always been my, my breed. Yeah. And I was a Border Patrol agent at the time, and my buddy, who was a senior agent, older agent, he told me, hey, bro, I got puppies, you know, it's half Rottweiler, that's what he told me. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, so we went and got it, and he literally lived, like, 
right on the Mexican border, right? So he takes me over to see these puppies, and I'm like, these don't look like Rottweilers, you know, not even a, a fraction. And I said, all right, take out all the males. And he took out all the males, and they were all screaming to get back in the pen with the mom, except for this one little puppy who was just sitting off to the side by himself. I said, I want that puppy. Mm. And I took him. And for that whole day, he rode around. He was a Border Patrol agent for the day, and all the agents came out. We were playing with him at the park, and I took him home. He was a great dog. He was a great dog. He was actually... My buddy lied to me, of course. He was <laughs> half lab, half border collie, oh right? Not even close. So he had a lot of the good qualities of both breeds. Like I could do cool things with him, but he had a lot of the bad qualities of the neurotic border collie too. And because we didn't know what we were doing, we enhanced those problems big time. Mm. And so we started working with our first trainer when, I was, when he was about five months old. And um, I had become obsessed with the behavior at that time from this trainer, you know, and he, he had really well-behaved dogs, and that's all I was interested in. And that's kind of what kicked it off. But when I started, I just had a knack for the behavior side of things, you know. I get obsessed with anything I do. So it came fairly easy to me, and I got consumed with learning more about how the dog thinks. But we didn't have the Internet back then. We didn't have all the access to so much information like people have now. So it was hard to learn. And a lot of it was trial and error, you know. But once I started understanding that, then I just looked for dogs to train. So I trained dogs for free for a few years, anything I can get my hands on. And before you knew it, people would come knocking on the door. Hey, could you help me with my dog? Yeah, sure, you know. Could you help me with my dog? Yeah, sure. And then it was my wife that kind of pushed me in on the business side because I was kind of playing around with it. But it was very hard because of my job because you can't take on any extra employment. You have to have special permission out of Washington because of my position that I was in. Well, I gave to, a sh To do, like, other things? Yeah, yeah, you can't do anything, you know. If, if you're I – was, I was in 1811, meaning that's, that's the – the, the code for special agents in all federal law enforcement, whether you're FBI, Homeland Security, ATF, doesn't matter. And so I had to have a top secret um, security clearance. And every five years you go through that. And so every five years you get a background check like you're just getting hired for the job. And they're very particular about, you know, you have to be careful. Sometimes I'm pretty free with my speech. You know, if someone comes at me, so sometimes you get called in the office, hey, yeah. look, what they just you can't do that. You know what I mean? So everything was a little different on that end. But I did get permission. I did. They gave me permission. So when I started the business, my goal was just to keep it super small and just make money on the side to support my, my dog hobby habit, right? That was it. And that lasted a very short period of time, like a very short period of time. The best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me was my wife had gotten me this um this little skinny camera thing and I don't even remember what it was called they didn't last very long but she got it for me so I could start filming what I was doing and I took that to my first client who just happened to have a very human aggressive dog and I gave it to the husband I said do me a favor just film all this if you can you know and he did what was that time frame so from when you when you were uh, an agent and then you got into working with dogs on the side like how long was that when it started when people kept knocking on the door and calling like man it was quick it, it was quick that was in 97 when I when I 
got the first dog and I started just working at everything I knew back then. And it was immediately down in Arizona where I was at, where people started asking me for help and I started working with dogs. We moved to Kentucky in 99, the end of 99. And so by then I was already working with a bunch of dogs, you know, and, and, and trying new things with my own dogs. I had Rottweilers, you know, I had a Rottweiler and if I went to Nashville and I was out working my dog, you know, there were no e-collars, there was none of that stuff. He was just with me. I don't even think he had usually a flat collar on and I could leave him outside and go inside and get a sandwich and order my food. He'd be sitting there waiting for me and people would just be coming up looking at this dog and that alone would always get me you know, people starting conversations, hey, I have this problem, will you help me? And so it happened pretty fast. And then what was rough was, again, today with social media, you never have to leave your house and you could do a lot of marketing. When things picked up and I started having to go out and work my dogs in public and do trade shows and travel, I was never home like never home. So when I was done with my official duty shift during the week, I'd get in the car, go right to Nashville, seeing clients and working my dog in public to try to build the business. On the weekends, clients and guerrilla marketing, mm. street corners, grocery stores, you name it. I hated it. I hated that part of it. And I was doing trade shows too. And I really hated that. What did you, what in particular did you hate about that? The, the first thing was leaving my wife and my baby right? hated it. Like people don't understand um, how depressing this line of work could be when you do the traveling, mm -hmm. the seminars, flying. All, it looks very glamorous and very sexy to people. It gave me goosebumps there. And, and, and it has its perks, right? Mm -hmm. But like last night when I'm sitting at dinner by myself, which I don't mind eating by myself because if a meal is good, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. eat by, I don't mind, right? But you're sitting there and you're like, your wife and kids are home. Mm -hmm. It's your daughter's last weekend home. She's leaving for college, and it all starts hitting you. That's very depressing. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very lonely feeling. Back then, the loneliest would kick in driving. The amount of driving that I did from place to place, from place to place. See, people don't see all that. Mm -hmm. They see now I have a little bit of a following, and I post stuff all the time. didn't start off like that. I had to bust my ass to grow the business, and my wife was a big part of that. I used to do the free in-home demos, right? That was a thing back then. I had the demo dog. I did that all years ago, right? So that's not new. My very first in-home demo was one of the most depressing moments of my life. I had my first demo, like, officially signed up, right? We didn't have kids yet. My wife's going to go with me. It is in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. I mean nowhere we drove a few hours to go do a free and home demo think about that yeah yeah right free, free. because you, you have to get your name out there yeah give me the bad dogs let me show you what i can do right mm -hmm. so we pull up to this trailer like in the middle of the woods surrounded by garbage and a big fence with barbed wire on it and i look at my wife who who's brown by the way right she's proving it and i'm like we're not going in there <laughs> <laughs> and she's like yeah we are i'm like no no, there's no, and I like literally have tears in my eyes. Like we just spent a few hours driving, like there's no way we're going in there. She's like, we're here. You have nothing to lose. We're going in. She won that battle. So we went in. They had a Doberman. His name was 
chopper. I'll never forget it. We start talking to the people, nice people, but I know this isn't going to lead to anything, right? But she's making me go through the process. So we talk, figure out the process. Okay, let's go outside. And I went outside, and I was going in the fence where the dog was. And the guy was like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to get your dog. He's like, you can't touch that dog. I'm like, I could touch the dog. Don't worry. He's like, no, dude, seriously, that dog's going to rip you apart. I knew by looking at the dog, this dog had no intention on ripping me apart, right? He was just full of shit. I said, I'll be okay. I went and I took the dog, and I started working the dog. And the guy's like, holy shit. Like, he was really impressed, right? And it didn't take long before the dog was, like, being really cool and really chill and doing cool things. And um, he's like, hey, you see that dog over there? It was the next trailer in the distance. It was German Shepherd. He goes, these two hate each other. Mm. You think you could take them over there and do something? I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) It's interesting that once you, and we see it all the time with my clients, is once you see that little bit of progress where they're like, you can't do it. Yeah. And then you break that progress down and they're like, holy crap, they immediately want to throw, well, what about this challenge? Sure, sure, absolutely. So I did. I took the dog over there and, you know, it went real well. But listen, of course they didn't sign up. They didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The dog was living in squalor and filth and mud. They just were very, very poor people. You know, they were really nice people, you know, and they were trying to do their best for this dog. But I drove back and I was so down and out. And my wife's like, why are you, you know, what's wrong with what? Like, that was amazing. She had never seen me work with dogs like that. Only our dogs who don't have those problems. Mm. And she's like, that was incredible. Like, I can't believe what I just saw you do. I've never seen you do that. And I was still really bummed, but she's always glasses half full. You know what I mean? Good, yeah. But that's what I try to tell young trainers, guys, like I had to bust my ass to get this out there. You guys don't have to. So I share a lot of stuff because, listen, you know this from experience. There's a lot of older people out there that have been doing this for a really long time that are crotchety, just Mm -hmm. miserable people, right? Yeah. And they talk about their days, how they had to struggle and how to suffer, and they think, young people today should have to suffer. I think that's bullshit, right? So if I could provide information, if I could put simple, basic stuff out out there to help young dog trainers and dog owners and save young dog trainers 10, 15 years of all the mistakes I made, I'm going to do that. And if you truly love dogs, but you're not willing to do that, if the trainer suffers, the dog suffers. So that never makes sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, just provide as much help as you can. If the dog is truly what you care about, then do your part to to add something to make things better. And, you know, when you just said, Tom, how they get so excited so easily and then work on this problem. One thing I tell people is for a client, if their dog has behavioral problems, super easy to make them happy. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're satisfied very easily. Their expectations are so low, and that's sad. And you provide any mm-hmm. situation that's better than what they had, they're happy. And that's sad. But on the flip side, when you get someone that doesn't have behavioral problems, and they just want, I want just really good obedience, that's the hardest kind of client to set, make satisfied, because they don't realize how much work goes into that. Right. They see my dog or maybe see your personal dog and like, yeah, that's what I want my dog to do. Well, listen, that takes a little bit of work. (laughs) You know, I can get your dog started 
and we can get them a nice foundation, but you're going to have to learn how to continue and, and produce this. So there's so many different layers to this thing that people don't think about and they don't talk about. And that's what I hate for the young trainers. Yeah. Yeah. Social media in general. And we talk about this on the podcast often. It's, it's, I mean, I just think in, as a whole, dog training aside, it's really hard to see a bunch of, um, people out there doing stuff and it, and it's, easy for people to sit back and go, well, I don't have that. And mm-hmm. I'd like to be there. I'd mm-hmm. like to enjoy that. And it just kind of pushes people down a hole where, um, where before that didn't really exist. You kind of like, we're in your own circle and you, 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 you didn't have access to the whole world sure. at your fingertips. And I think, and I think it's going to, I th- I hope anyway, my son just turned one. And that's something I think about all the time because when I was 19, 20, that's when, you know, Instagram started getting popular. Um, Facebook continued to get popular and, and it was like this whole thing. So I kind of lived through, and so did you, of course, but, um, I was a a young adult at that point trying to figure life out and then boom. So it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult for, I think anybody in any industry to see everything, but I hope it will correct itself and balance itself out. I think it will. I think it has to. Yeah. Because right now it's, it's just not healthy. No, no, it's not because um, the whole social media thing in general isn't healthy. Not just, not just with uh, dog stuff. No, right, yeah. Right. I see how my kids live their life, and and you'll see eventually in a few years. Yeah. It won't be your boy won't be that old until <laughs> yeah. you'll see he wants one of those. He wants the yeah. iPad. Right now he's not watching TV. He's watching cartoons on an iPad and figures out he could be interactive. And now he's playing games and 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 it gets started. You know, I have family that live in upstate New Jersey. My uncle and my aunts and I have a bunch of little cousins that I don't get to see very often, but they still live like we did as kids. Mm. Like they're outside seven days a week all year long. It's hunting. It's fishing. It's camping. It's doing all kinds of cool redneck stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes me so happy when I see them on Facebook, when I see my aunt and my uncle posting that stuff, because I'm like, God, I wish I would have done, pushed my kids more that way. Yeah. Right? Because there is a huge benefit oh, yeah. to being outdoors and doing things mm-hmm. like that. But you flip that back to dog training, people spend more time watching dog training YouTube videos and Instagram and TikTok than they do out working with their dog. Mm-hmm. That's a big problem, you know? Yeah. And then they, yeah, it's a, it's a battle. It's, it's totally a battle of trying to, especially for people who are just getting into an industry, it mm-hmm. can be very overwhelming. Sure. That's why I've, I've talked about it before again on this podcast where, um, it's it, it can be discouraging too i think for people because they get so worried about the engagement and how many people are going to see that like it comment share it and of course like you're human you want more people to see what you're doing cuz you think it'll help dogs but when you get somebody who just started an industry they're more concerned about well nobody's nobody's going to watch my stuff so it but it's about that one person or that even that two two people, because that's sometimes I I have to reflect on on that where I sit back and I'm like, I have to look at the bigger picture of, say, ten thousand people saw something. I'm like, man, that's not good. And I'm like, what what am I crazy? 
I'm like, that's that's nuts. Like, sure. that's even if four people saw that, and that's you just constantly have to remind yourself of why you got into the things that you do. But yeah, going back to what you were saying about kind of that balance, it's really hard because there's a lot of people who also don't have the opportunity to go outside and get their you know hands dirty and mm-hmm. play in the dirt and get because that's how I, I I was telling you my my dad lives in Southern Indiana and like the Kentucky's across the river there in Mount Vernon and is right below Evansville. And so yeah. we grew up in out, out in the country out there and that's what we do. We just go through the cornfields and kick up deer and I didn't know you grew up out that way. Yeah. I spent my summers there. Mm-hmm. My, my dad, that's where he's from mm-hmm. Posey County in a little small town, um, in Southern Indiana. And they, yeah. they just, it's a different, it's a different, um, lifestyle because, oh, yeah. it, but but then I go to, and that's the kind of cool thing about traveling for work. And you go to New York City, you go to Boston, you go to Los Angeles, you go to you know London or these bigger cities. And I think people who live in those cities, not knowing that they don't know what else is out there. Mm-hmm. But it, it's hard for me to like, well, do you tell them? Are you supposed to, you know, for kids anyway, I'm like, do you know what it's like to go feel that tug on a, on a, on a fishing pole or mm-hmm. what it's like to, to just go outside and, and get dirty. But I think it's that balance of parenting and just getting, getting out there. But it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah. E- listen, even when I was a kid, I had friends that grew up like I was poor, but I had friends who grew up that were way worse off than, than me and my family. And they grew up in really rough areas and rough cities and some of my friends, like my dad would take them fishing with us. And they had never, ever experienced anything like that. They never left the city area. Mm. You know, they'd never been to the country or to a lake to the woods. And even as a kid, I was so blown away by it. But you start to realize, like, there's people out there that really have it tough and don't get to experience anything. Mm-hmm. Right? So for people with dogs or you're a dog trainer in New York City, there's a huge benefit to training dogs in New York. Well, sh- shit that's why we just took benny our little chihuahua to manhattan with us when we went for a few days right ultimate training opportunity he's a he's a suburb dog but more of a country suburb dog right but we go to nashville a lot with him he goes to restaurants with us he's already flown on a plane and when we got him to new york it was hit and go you know we're going out we're going to be right and he was overwhelmed at first Mm. i had to train him to be on a leash right before we went there because all my puppies start off leash. Mm-hmm. I don't start them on a leash. Mm-hmm. Like being free off leash is never a novelty to my dogs. But now he's like, hey, I don't like this leash thing. I ain't taking a dump when I'm on leash. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, now you got to, buddy. We're going to New York. Mm-hmm. It was hard to find grass, right? Mm-hmm. But guess what? He got over it real quick. We were walking down the street first day. My wife's walking him. Something freaked him out. She went to pick him up like people do with little dogs. No, no, no. Give me the dog. We're going to go. No, you're staying on the ground, you know, yeah. and did it freak him out at first? Yeah, but he realized, well, shit, I didn't die. Yeah, You know, that's why I do like showing stuff with him because people are like, oh, my God, thank God. Like, no one shows stuff like with yep. little dogs because we, you know, we destroy a lot of little dogs by treating them undog-like. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. A Chihuahua and a Rottweiler is the same being, mm-hmm. just in different clothing. Mm-hmm. That, that's it, you know, but there's so much to this. You never get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. That's what's great about it. Yeah, I say that a lot. Like the yip yappers become yip yappers because people treat them like 
Cabbage Patch dolls. Mm-hmm. So they don't ever have a chance or an opportunity to gain confidence. Because mm-hmm. like you said, any time it's convenient to be able pick to say, up. pick them up. Yeah. Pick or, them up. Or now the Yorkie's looking down at the Irish wolfhound. Right. What, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> what? Who's right. bigger now? That's a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it's not real. They don't, they don't have a chance to really no. digest that mm-hmm. and learn how to fight through that. Sure. Yeah. So it's interesting that you said the, the off-leash things with your puppies because I'm the same way. I've, um, I've just – and that's, I think, part of kind of being a dog guy or dog girl is I, I just never had them on the leash. So, therefore, they never, they never heard that unclick mm-hmm. of like, ooh. This, mm-hmm. it, because, you know, puppies are very opportunistic. Sure. And even um, adolescent, a little bit older dogs, they, once the leash is gone – but if you never put it on, right? They're like, "Hey, I just like you, man. I'm just gonna." That's it. Where you're gonna go that way? I may come over here, and and so that's that's how I started all my dogs mm-hmm. always, and I always try to suggest it to to people. But when you're right now, what would you say your client base is? Is it behavior, obedience training, both? Like, what is your main thing that you're seeing right now? Whatever I feel like taking on. So that's, I'm grateful I'm in a good position to work with just who I want to, right? And I still keep things scaled back. I never want to get too overwhelmed because I'm getting there. I've gotten a little too overwhelmed by saying yes too often since I retired. So for years, it was just bad behavior stuff. Like literally for years, right? Because of that one video I posted, that made things awful. So people are like, oh my God, okay. It was a human aggressive dog. I a human aggressive dog. I filmed it. It's one of the first things I probably posted to YouTube in 2009, 2010. I don't know. That's the guy that you said to hold your yes. Okay, yes. Got it. And um, that was kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Got me a lot of attention. Brought me a huge, huge client base. People wanting help, but it was all human aggressive dogs. That's all it was. It was one after the other. Right. And that got exhausting really, really fast. You know, that's not what I specialized in. But people thought that's what I did. I wasn't trying to to persuade them that way or claim that that was my thing. It's just that's what it was. Like my client base was all not even in Nashville. It was outside of Nashville, which was fairly far from where I had to drive from home because the first trade show I ever did was a gun show outside of Nashville and I spent that first day there with my Rottweiler from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. and so all my client base came from that gun show that really oh yeah yeah wow like someone said like hey how's business going you know and I was like oh you know it's hit or miss this and they're like go do a trade show really I'm like okay they're like yeah do a trade show anything pick anything so I'm like fine so there was a gun show in Smyrna, Tennessee. So I paid $60 to rent a table for the whole weekend, right? I show up with my Rottweiler and my wife again, and we pull up, and there's a long line of people. And I look. Now remember, I'm from New Jersey, born and raised, and this was, we're new to the area down there in in Kentucky, and it looked like a KKK convention. Mm. just by judging from the outside. Sure. Right? I'm sure that's going to offend some people. And I looked at my wife again, like really upset. I'm like, we're not going in there. She's like, yeah, you are. I'm like, I'm not bringing you in there. There's no way I'm bringing my brown wife into this place. 
What was it? A, did you say it was a gun show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. was a gun show. And um, I was really upset. She says, no, we're here. You're going, you know? <laughs> um, I was like, oh, my God. Like, she made me go in. And we set up a table. And I had, like, handmade flyers. It was, aw- it was awful. But I had my dog with me, right? My, my Rottweiler, Bruno. And we're the only non-gun table in there. It's all... Everyone's in camo and giant beards and Confederate <laughs> flags and me, my brown wife, and my brown dog, right? I'm going, what the F am I doing here? Yeah. And my dog, I would just send him to greet people, you know? And I'd talk to people, he'd greet them, I'd do some things with them, and our table was packed the whole day. And then right about 2 o'clock, he started acting weird. It just became too much for him, right? And he was an awesome dog, super stable dog, but like he had had his fill of people all over him. And I told my wife, shut it down. We're done. I'm not not keeping him here any longer. That $60 investment for the weekend from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. that we sat there with the door made me $7,000. And that was a lot of money back then. Whoa. Right? You mean after the fact, clients would call? Okay. Yeah, yeah, everyone. Well, they had to sign up there. Okay. So everyone signed up. Here's your form. That made me $7,000 worth of business on wow. the spot. And that was simply because I had a Rottweiler who doesn't have the, the best reputation. His behavior was impeccable, and he was social, and everybody loved him. Every dog owner could relate to that, right? Mm. Because sometimes the average dog owner can't relate to the Belgian Malinois standing on his back legs and walking backwards and biting people, right? It's cool to watch, but not everybody wants that. Mm -hmm. But everybody wants the well-behaved dog. And when you take a big, beautiful, powerful breed that maybe so many people are scared of, that was, like, game-changing. That was game. And somebody in the business who had a lot of experience before me, they told me once when they saw me working him, they're like, that dog's going to make you a fortune. I didn't understand what they meant by that. Like, I, I honestly had no idea because they had asked me to work him and I started working him and they were like, hold on a second. They ran and they got a little video camera and they started filming me and they took the video. I didn't even have access to the video, but I guess no one had ever seen a Rottweiler not just behave like that, but, but doing cool things, you know? Then I started understanding what they meant by that. So he would just travel the country with me and wherever I went with him, he was a big hit. You know, that's, that's amazing story because I've, I done, I've done one trade show ever for dogs. I did it with dog. Tra- we did shot show in Vegas, yeah, yeah. I think three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And I like, um, the stuff that's there. Like I, I enjoy the outdoor stuff. I right. enjoy the tactical stuff, the mm-hmm. Jeeps and the cars and the different types of guns and the and I and I was talking to my dad about this when I was doing it and I was like this is the booths that some of these guys have are unbelievable yeah. I've never seen any for some reason there's just I've never seen like a professional booth mm-hmm. where they have um, and at the time I was working with the outdoor channel on a uh, on a show concept and so I was at the outdoor channel um booth and they had this like huge like building size um billboards you know like 
25, 30 feet tall. And then they have all these little offices and kitchens where people go and do meetings and executives. And really what it is for, I think, a lot of those companies is just networking sure. with other companies. But those trade shows are, are really interesting. And if anybody hasn't been to one, just think of like like skyscrapers in a little convention center or sometimes big convention mm-hmm. center. And I remember Glock, the company, had this huge like multi like again they look like skyscrapers just yeah and then they would have stairs going upstairs to these decks that would overlook the sea of people and then i remember it was a really cool um scenario and it was just like i was there at the right time at the right place and i was looking at the glock thing and i was like wow this is really cool and then there was this big line and people at the end, like towards the end of the day, I think I was there for two days and towards the end of the day, I just, I just saw people just pumping kegs and drinking beer. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Cause I didn't know what to expect. Dogcha, yeah. who obviously I have a relationship with, they were like, Hey, can you just come and be at the booth, answer questions? Sure. Whatever. And I don't, I don't even think I had my e-collar out at that point. I was just like the expert for them. And people started drinking beers and then there was this huge line and music started playing. It was, I'm like, this is turning into a party this is weird sure and then all of a sudden chuck norris comes out of this this little um again like this building inside of this uh tent chuck norris i'm like that's chuck norris this is so weird and then i realize i'm like oh these people okay and i'm putting it together he's doing like a meet and greet Mm -hmm. signing thing that glock paid him to do and then all of a sudden chuck norris is taking pictures of the fans and then chuck liddell comes behind Chuck Norris, which for those of you who don't know is a UFC fighter, the Iceman, I believe is his nickname, gets Chuck Norris in a headlock. I'm like, what is going on right now? But I remember just the trade show game um, blew my mind. There was like three different levels. And so anyway, so the, the trade show that you did with the Rottweiler, those people signed up and then you worked with them after. Yeah. And then you just, is that... That's where all my business was coming from yeah. then because they saw me there or, you know, word of mouth. I had a client there. And so forever I'm driving to Smyrna and Murfreesboro and, and places that I, I, I wasn't thrilled about going. But I tell people, again, back to the, the depressing part, when you pull up to a house that's in a really bad area and the American bulldog is chained to the back of the tree you know, and it's a place where you know you shouldn't be, you're like, this sucks. Mm. You know, my wife and baby are going to the pool today, and I have to worry about getting jacked while I'm here. Mm-hmm. But but I, I did whatever you had to do. I was really, I was really determined to, I loved it. I loved working with the dog part. Back then, I didn't know how to work with the people part, you know, and there came a time where, I started focusing more on that because the dogs were easy. Yeah. But it didn't take me that long to realize what we did with the dogs was temporary. Like I had to make permanent changes here and that has to come from educating the owners. It had to, you know. So you know, I know I'm I know sometimes I have a big mouth and I'm very opinionated. I try to be less now and I try to only put out more positive stuff that could be beneficial. But a lot of times the reason is because I've seen it, I've done it, and I hate people being fooled by it and making those same mistakes when if you give them the right information, they'd be able to help so many more people, so many more dogs. That's the downside of the social media thing, you know? Mm -hmm. I've never been 
I've never been someone who bashes trainers by name and call people out, and, and I don't show other people's videos. I can care less. I don't go on other people's page and comment things. Um, sometimes I'll speak out about something when the welfare of the animal is at stake. It's really hard not to. Mm. You know, it's really hard not to. So the one thing I ask people to do is don't send me this shit anymore. I don't want to see other people's videos, right? Mm. I only go online to watch videos of things that I like or I'm trying to learn. Mm -hmm. that, that's it. I don't want to see bad stuff. I don't want to see bad training. I don't want to see dogs being abused because the dog abuse thing that people want me to speak out on, it does nothing but it does have a, a very negative physical effect on me. And it mm. lasts. It lasts. Yeah. It really does. That is, yeah, oh my gosh. It is, um, it's very difficult. Um, my friend Will Atherton, he's a trainer in uh, the UK. Him and I talked about this a little bit about, <clears throat> I don't think people do it to cause malicious thoughts to us or sure. to make us feel 100%. a certain way but it does it is very frustrating when people will say they'll send you this video or um hey this is happening in this country you need to do something because you have a voice and i'm like but you have to understand that that's going to make me depressed and have anxiety for four days if i sit down and make a video about something that i truly do care about but at what at what What's the what's the risk here? At what cost does it take? And it's not going to benefit anything. I don't think so. It really doesn't. You know, you you have to. There has to be more action. You know, it, it's like people, you know, please send prayers. Yeah, I get it. I un, I understand it, right? But there has to be action. You have to be able to do something if you're going to make a true difference. Listen, there was a few years back where everything I was posting, not everything, but a lot of the things I was posting had a very negative message behind it, right? I lost a lot of friends at that time. In what way negative? <sighs> like you were just pissed about something? Yeah, it, it was a few specific trainers mm. that were getting very popular, and it really, really bothered me. It didn't bother me that they were getting popular. It bothered me because they were awful dog trainers, they were abusive dog trainers. And I knew this for a fact. It wasn't something that I was making up in my head or people just told me. I knew this for a fact. And the thing that bothered me the most is there were so many people that believed in them and were jumping on the bandwagon and were learning from them. Mm. So now these people who are doing bad work but growing a huge presence online, it's not only the people they're dealing with directly but now they're training others who think that's proper and so on and so on. So it becomes this massive expansion of just really shit dog training and abusive dog training. Ooh, yeah, that's a... That we and I never use names, right? Right. And, and sorry to cut you off no, there. No, it's fine. But people knew who I was talking about because they knew the same information I did, and they oh. said, listen, you have a good following. Why don't you call them out by name? said I can't that's not my job and if I do that it's going to look like I have a personal beef with them I said it's going to be more effective if people start to realize on their own which since then they have people have started to realize okay this is not good and I'm like yeah about time so don't you think here's here's what I it's 
all of that is like church to yeah. me. Um, and I'm the same exact way. Um, you know, I, I never, and, I, and I'm very open about it, and I, and I know that you are as well, is I'm never going to, like, somebody's like, look at this video. What do you think about I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, because I think once you inevitably become a, um, somebody who has a big, bigger platform, mm -hmm. people just want to match you up with other people in comparison. Sure. Or they want to say, well, I want to know what shit you can talk about this person. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, <clears throat> because the internet loves drama. So they love when there's people going at it. Sure. They just want to sit back because it's, they're, they have no skin in the game. They just want entertainment. And people think it's benefiting them, and it's it's not. Like once you get into that that pissing match with another person, it's at the end of the day, it's about your ego of like. And I'm not. There was a Dr. Phil quote on the Joe Rogan podcast, and what he said to me resonated with me so hard, and I still use it to this day. Is I'm not interested in being right. I'm interested in in making a difference. Sure. I'm interested in 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 helping people. Do you think that? Because that's the way I've always gone. I put my head down and I just, I do the right thing and I work hard. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in going into very polar sen sensationalism of like, I'm going to do this crazy thing to get all this attention, which to me, I'm not going to say that's wrong, right, or indifferent mm -hmm. because I don't care. I just don't. I'm just a dog guy that I'm very grateful for the career I'm able to do uh, and, and, and have and the life that I get to have. But to me, you have to play the longer game. You have to be patient where there's going to be a point just in general. And it's not, and again, this isn't about anything, anybody in particular. It's just over time, you're going to see these different um, dog trainers that come into the world that, um, or it, just any space, you know. It, I think just putting out what you do or what other really great dog trainers do speaks volumes when, when you're going to get somebody. That's why they, that's why they want to know your opinion is because they go, well, Larry, you said that the e-collar, should be conditioned at this level, but this person over here, this guy or girl over here says something completely opposite. Now I want you to like argue. And it's, it's like, what do you, that's right. Why don't you just look to see what makes sense to you? Mm -hmm. And that's what I've always thought is I let the general public decide, you know, or, or the people who follow these different, um, organizations or, um, techniques or whatever. I'm like, I'm not interested in like, I'm right. I just mm -hmm. want to make a difference. And so I think just putting out good stuff will counter. And like you said, I think it'll over time balance each other out because people are going to go, oh, this is a, this is entertainment. Mm -hmm. This is real. Sure. That's what I think is putting out what you do or what other really great dog trainers do is going to counter. And, and peop the, the people out there that are watching – over the next 20 years are going to see it and go, I can see the difference here. Sure. I can see the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I used to take phone calls and people would be interested in, and this isn't even that long ago, right? A few years back when people were interested in my services, I talked to them as long as they wanted to answer anything for them. And I enjoy those conversations. But at the end of the call, I would tell them, and sometimes they wanted to sign up right then and there, but, and, and sometimes they wanted more information. But at the end of the call, I always tell them, now do me a favor. I want you to call every single dog trainer in the Nashville area and interview them, just like you did me. I said, because it's really an important, it's in a very important decision. Mm. You're trusting someone with something that's extremely important to you. Yeah. You're going to spend a lot of money. Don't just take call everybody. 
and interview them. You might find someone you click better with. I said, and ask everyone this one request that I will do for you. I said, tell me where you want me to meet you with my dogs, off leash, no tools. Yeah. And I'll do that, but I'll also give you an extensive list of clients that you can call from as far back as you want to as, as recent. And I said, I want that to be part of your research. And almost always, I mean, literally almost always, people will say, no, I've called around. I want, I want to sign up. I'm like, no, 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 think about it. Like, no, I want to sign up, right? So it's important. I never tried to build the, the business past when I started and I thought I wanted to build a business, right? Mm -hmm. But I think what the dogs look like long-term is the most important thing, like really important. If you go back about two years ago, I filmed a ton of footage with the Cane Corso Ranger I had at my house. Like I filmed everything for a reason, right? The reason I accepted his owner that she, I, I didn't have room to take him. Like she was way back on the waiting list. She had sent me a message and finally got a hold of me and told me what she was struggling with. She was from out of state. And, you know, there was thoughts of putting the dog down. I uh, had aggression towards humans. and But she had signed up for a seminar I was doing in Florida. But that was almost a year away. But then she said something to me that really resonated with me. She said, if I rent an Airbnb in your location for a month, will you work with me? Mm. I said, you got your board and train. I'm not going to turn away someone that's that committed. Yep. I, there's no way, right? And so I took her on, and, you know, I took that dog out for the first couple of days with a bite suit on because he wasn't safe, but he wasn't what he appeared to be. He was scared of the world, right? And through that process, I filmed everything, and it was mostly play-based, like 95% based through play and building a relationship with this dog. Yeah. And I had private messages and public comments on why it's such a mistake to play with this dog, why it's such a mistake to let him bite things, or how is this going to translate to the real world, right? No one ever says, how is punishment going to translate to the real world? How is food or e-collars going to translate to it? No one ever asked that. But when it came to trying to get this dog crazy about me and playing with him, how is that going to translate to the real world? Well, I didn't argue with people. I just said, well, we'll have to wait and see, right? So I filmed so much of that dog for people to watch. They got to see the moment that he changed. Mm -hmm. The moment he changed, they got to see it. They got to see his owner spending a few days with me and us going out in public. But more importantly, they get to see the videos that his owner sends me to this day of him out in public yeah. along busy streets playing in, in, in the grass and in the park and playing with complete strangers. Mm -hmm. What else do you need? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to argue with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to argue with you, but here's what I do, how I do it, and I'm going to show you everything. Listen, to this day, I told you when I walked in, I'm like, holy crap, this is impressive. Like, I feel like I'm in a Hollywood studio, right? Um, when I started filming things, like with the first version iPhone that came out, right? And I think... It wasn't long before my daughter was filming, who was like six at the time. It was as bad as it gets, right? Like, 
in one video, like she like farted in the background. I was like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm posting these videos and people are watching them. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, people are watching these videos. Says, so you know what, guys? I'm going to get some nice equipment and get some editing stuff. And people rip me apart. They're like, don't. Mm. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, we want to see everything. So to this day, I'm still making unbelievably unprofessional videos. No microphone. Shitty sound. It's windy in the background. And I'm still with the iPhone. Luckily, the iPhones are a lot better today, right? Mm-hmm. So my interest, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting out beautiful stuff, right, and nice content for people to watch because that's what most people want. Me, I don't have the ability to do that. Like, I didn't know how to loosen this mic and bring it closer to me. You, you understand? Oh, it's the rain. Sorry. Is that rain? Yeah. Sorry, Larry. I was like, what is going on? I was like, is it just me? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's heavy. It's cool because we have a tin roof. Yeah, so to this day, I still just, that's what I show. And sometimes it's really shitty, but I do show the bad work. I show the shitty stuff. I show the mistakes. Yeah. Because the thing that I love that people get the most is, oh, that dog made a mistake and he didn't kick his ass. Mm -hmm. Right? And that I never realized was a thing. But when people started seeing that, like, holy shit, like, I feel so guilty right now because that's where I would have hammered that dog. You know, so I'm probably always going to produce really shitty, unprofessional stuff. You know, that's just not my thing. And I'd never be good at it. I I just, I never would. I've tried to use microphones Mm. and I had one of the best videos I ever filmed, like over an hour long recently. And I was like, this is valuable for people to hear. It was with someone that was struggling with some serious disabilities and working with his dog. And that conversation was very valuable, I thought, to people. I got zero of it recorded. I was like, oh my, mm. so like I'm done. I'm done with this stuff. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Listen, I'm doing this a long time. I still make mistakes daily. It's never going to stop, you know? I think you have to make mistakes to get better. Sure. Right? That, I, I, when I, oh, this rain is insane. When I open up a seminar, no matter where I'm at, I look around and I'm kind of like just in awe that I get to do that. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm in a different country. I'm like, this is, a, this is incredible. Sure. And, I've, and I always, if anybody's been to my seminars, I, I hope that that comes through or you've experienced that where I'm like, and I first thing I say is, I am the student along with you guys, and I'm going to make mistakes. But my goal whenever I'm doing any type of training is to learn more about dogs today than I did yesterday. Sure. And I think once you stop having that mentality genuinely, not just saying it because mm-hmm. um, if you make mistakes, it might, be, it might make you look better. Right. I genuinely believe that. I think once that goes away, then, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it anymore. But that's one of the <clears throat> reasons why I think I, that I know for sure that I really like your content and I continue to, to watch it. And Appreciate that. Is, is because of the organicness of it. I think that that's why, like, I really, you know, enjoy your content because it is, it is that. And I think there's value in that because you, you care, but you don't care. You know what I mean? Part of that's just getting old. You just don't care anymore, yeah. dude. <laughs> you yeah. Know, if you saw how I went out in my yard the other day to do a video, someone said, I really like the outfit, dude. I'm like with old cheap sweats rolled up like a Quaker and I'm just, 
I just don't care. And the only reason I have that on is because I'm usually in the summertime with nothing but a little pair of shorts on and nothing else. I call it active tanning. Hey, if I'm going to be out here working dogs, yeah. I'm going to get tan while I'm doing it. But Lord knows I'm not going to film that and post that. So we're going to throw on whatever I find. That's it. I'm sure some, some people out there would really enjoy to see that, actually. That's, like, my, that's my wife. She says he never has. He tells the neighbors he never has clothes on. <laughs> Summertime, I'm going to be almost naked. Believe me what I tell you. Well, you have a pool, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. We have a pool, too. And it, it is nice to, to just go out there and chill and relax. Oh, I love it. So when you – and, and like I said before, you know, I don't have, like, a ton of guests on the podcast only because, you know, my wife said this last night. I don't know who she was talking to, but maybe my father-in-law. But they were like, you know, you need to get – and I'm like, I really – I can't talk to somebody I don't genuinely connect with, Mm. you know. So I could get more people on, you know, and and I just – I don't want to do that, you know. So I have people on like you that I think people need to know about is out there because you have such a – you're just a genuine – guy and I know you've heard that before and it's I think like you said it's maturity I think you know I'm still I'm still figuring how to be a man out I'm still figuring out how to be a dad and figure out how to be a husband and figure out how to run multiple businesses and you make it look so easy because you don't care and I envy that because there's parts of me where I'm like I do care where I'm like oh like I need you know but there's also this part of me where I'm like yeah I don't care so it depends on what mood I'm in but you genuinely like consistently i love how you just my by the way i told you when i picked you up from the airport my staff call you a menace but in a good way they go oh larry's just a menace he he got on last night after a couple drinks oh man whatever and they 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 love you like when i when i said well first of all when i text you you go who's this i'm like all right larry's definitely not coming on the podcast so then you're like oh yeah yeah sure i'll come and i told my staff i go i go larry larry crone's gonna come on the podcast and they were all like Super excited. I appreciate that. I told them, I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to get Caesar on. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, Larry's coming on. And they were like, Larry's coming on. That makes me feel very good. Well, you're you're great at what you do. You're passionate about what you do. You're a good person. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. And I'm not just saying that, you know, for any other reason, but but sincerity. And and it comes across. Like when I, I remember this one video and I, you and I would never be able to guess which one it was, but. And we'll talk about this in a minute about e-collar and the work that you've done because that's that's something that um, I really enjoy too. Your book and 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 everything that you've done with e-collar stuff. But there was this one video you had with this. I don't I don't remember what dog it was. Many years ago, and I think you were putting out a post to basically battle somebody saying that e-collars were abusive or whatever, and. I remember you were doing these basic tap and turns. The dog would be out on like a 15 foot in your driveway. Long line was dropped and you'd tap and you'd say, you know, dog come. The dog would come wagging the tail and you'd come back this way and you'd be like, man, look how this dog is having a terrible time out here. Mm. This dog hates this. Somebody please call the cops like you were going off. Yeah, I kind of remember. And I was dying laughing. I'm like, this is just so funny because you just, you have this way of like, going about the way that you train that makes it so entertaining and, and, and so genuine again. And I think it's cool that you film on an, I, again, like I envy the ability to do that, um, mentally. Cause I, of course I could, I'd be like, Oh, here's this. But I just remember that one time you had, you had that puppy out. I think it was a younger dog and you were just tap and turn and you were like, man, just look at this dog having a terrible time. 
And it was just such a funny approach to the way that you trained. But <clears throat> when did you start getting into remote collar work? Like, when did that come into your life? You know... Because you have a book for people who don't know. Yeah, so I hated the e-collars because I grew up, I grew up uh, a hunter. I, I'm, a, I'm a fanatical hunter, deer hunter especially, right? But when I was a young kid, I, I hunted birds too. Pheasant hunting was real big. And this upstate New York, New Jersey, that's where I'm, I'm from, where I hunted. But back then, like this is going back like to the beginning e-collars, you know, I saw all the bird dogs out in the woods that had e-collars on. They were very, you know, <laughs> not what we have today. They look very different. Big, scary-looking electric chairs around the dog's neck, right? Yeah. But I had never seen one out in the woods that responded well. I would watch a lot of screaming and a lot of yelping and the dogs running away from their owner and their owners just screaming and blasting these dogs. So that was what I knew of e-collars. That's it. So I was 100%. I would never, it didn't make sense to me, right? I didn't know nothing back then either. And then somewhere, I think it was in the early 2000s, maybe 2005, 2006, I started seeing certain people big in the e-collar world doing different things. And I was watching these dogs. And I was like, that's not what I watched as a kid. That's not what I saw. So I just became really curious and really interested. And I started just consuming everything I could, but it was hard to find stuff back even back then right the internet and like youtube was just starting to come around when i started watching this stuff and i consumed everything i could find so i was just crazy curious crazy curious and so that got me out going to see different people and working with different people and seeing that things were very different now from what i remember mm -hmm. so the first dog i ever trained on an e-collar was my own dog but he was already like four years old and really well trained, right? It was a hunting dog? No, no, no. No, it was a Rottweiler. Okay. And even after I trained him, I still wasn't crazy about things were going because even using lower level stimulation to introduce it, um, we weren't using food back then. That still wasn't a thing, right? I noticed with a lot of the dogs, a lot of the dogs were fine right from the start, but a lot of the dogs, there was still a lot of confusion. And some of them would look down in the dumps for like three days. You know, there's no reason for that. But when you're learning from people, you trust them and you believe them. Mm -hmm. And they tell you that's normal. Give them three days and they'll, they'll go back to normal, which was, was accurate. After three days, my dog went back to looking normal. And I was like, okay. But there was so much pressure used, so much e-collar usage, right? Just constant e-collar usage throughout the day for everything you wanted the dog to do and I knew again it was much better than it used to be but it still didn't make sense to me you know so you dig a little deeper and you start finding better people and you start learning and you're like okay and you just keep changing and evolving and making it better training and better for the dog better training better for the dog constantly but then with all the everyday people I was working with, I realized there's a way that a dog person could do things very efficiently. That's going to be great on the dog. You're going to get great, great results. But that doesn't benefit the everyday dog owner who's going to go out and grab this tool. 
which is going to happen. Mm -hmm. No matter what people say, dog owners are going to go buy e-collars no matter what. All right? You can't treat someone who doesn't know how to walk a dog on a leash the same as a professional dog trainer. What you or I or another trainer can do with any tool. You can't do it. It doesn't work. There has to be a lot of education there. So when I started using the e-collar the way I do now, which I've changed many times over the years, this has been the longest I've stayed with one way. It's nothing I created. I didn't invent anything. I didn't come up with anything different. I just bottled it in a way that was easy to understand for the everyday dog owner. That's it, because I saw these dogs being destroyed with the tool, right? So a lot of the things with the very, very anti-e-collar radical people on the force free side say they're not wrong if you're focusing on the people that do that what they don't understand is not everyone does the things that they think is going on Mm -hmm. okay that's what i have a problem with so when i started pushing this way on everyday dog people i saw there was no more confusion on the dog parts they there was no more three days looking down in the dumps it was immediately things went well right? Mm -hmm. So now I could take a dog and I used to brag about this and I stopped and I changed the way I was doing things because I realized it wasn't benefiting anyone. It was benefiting me. It was an ego thing. And it wasn't even my intent at the time, but I used to say that I can get almost any dog completely off leash in three days, all dogs by day five. And I wasn't lying when I said that. It's not difficult to do with an e-collar, right? Even without putting a ton of pressure on the dog. But that doesn't benefit all the people that are going to use this tool. So I really scaled back and slowed things down and focused much more on building the relationship, building the training, the foundation, and the fundamentals. Yeah. Because if the average person has a good grasp of the fundamentals, like basic stuff, then it makes that tool that much easier. So the first time I start working with an everyday dog owner has no dog training ability, and they start with that e-collar, by the time we get there, I know they're ready, but they don't know they're ready. They're scared of it. And I tell them, you're going, until I see you next week, you're going to mess this up all week long. But that's not just with the e-collar. That's with all training. You're going to mess this up all week long. But I promise you this, the way we're doing it, you're not going to mess your dog up. And, and that's, that's 100% fact. And that's been my experience for a really long time now, Right. So that gives people such an advantage when they have that ability. Look, I'm working with a couple people now that are, that are much elderly with really active high-drive dogs. We don't base our whole training program around the e-collar, not even close, right? But that is going to be a tremendous benefit to allow those people to give that dog that freedom of doing what dogs need to do. Mm. Use all four legs and run. You can't take a dog and confine it to a leash or a backyard the rest of their lives. If you think that dog's being fulfilled, you're insane, right? So when it comes to the e-collar stuff, I don't care who debates it, whether you hate the tool or you think there's a better way. If there's a better way, do it. Because if I find a better way, I will do it too. Right. And I did find better ways multiple times, multiple times, since I've been doing it the way I do now, I haven't found that better way. Now, granted, I don't spend the amount of time with the e-collar with when I'm training a dog. 
that I have someone else do. Like if I, if you read the book and you're over in England and you've never trained a dog, I'm going to have you go super slow and take your time, right? But what people don't understand, it's not the dog that I'm focusing on. Dog's going to be fine. Yeah. But the human needs a lot more work. 100%. A lot more work. And you can't rush that. That was the whole purpose. Listen, when I wrote that book, there's so many errors in that book because I, I just, I was speed writing when I had a minute here, a minute there. It was basically a manual for my clients. That's all. It was something basic. Probably still is. Yeah. When, when I put it out there, I never expected people to buy it. And when I saw the Amazon sales day one, I was like, there's no way this is correct. You know, and six years going on seven years later, it still sells a lot of copies. But here's the thing. I've literally had tens of thousands of emails, not hundreds, not thousands, tens of thousands of emails from people that have never had a well-behaved dog, never had a trained dog, and never trained a dog. And have told me, like, this changed their lives. They could take their dog out in public and allow it to run, and they never have to worry, right? And so I see my own clients who maybe have three or four young kids, and now their last dog got hit by a car, Mm -hmm. right? No training. Now this dog, they take hiking with no leash. That's life-changing for the human, for the dog. So I've never had a lot of backlash, Tom, from the force-free community because I've never given reason to, right? And so if you're a force-free trainer and don't want to use I'm totally cool with that. I have no issue with those people, not at all. There's a lot of very talented people on that side of training. The people on that side of training that I have an issue with that are just like psychopath radicals that have no idea what they're talking about and they lie. Yep. That's detrimental to everybody. Those people don't care about dogs. They care about an ideology. Right. That's it. They care about being right. Show me one dog that I've ever trained that looks shut down. This was the best line ever. And I swear to God is my witness. This is, I've talked about this before. There was a lady who took a bunch of my videos in a force free group and submitted them to her group. And said, guys, I don't know about this, but this guy's using e-collars and these dogs look happy. Like she was questioning what people were telling her. Like, these dogs don't look sad. They're having a good time. And I swear to you, this is the greatest line in the history of dog training. Someone who you aren't going to change their mind said, he abused those dogs into looking happy. I had to share that with everyone when I got that because that's the greatest line ever. Yeah. That's how nutty people are, yeah. you know? And so I don't get caught up in that stuff anymore. You know what I mean? Listen, there's dogs. I have a dog right now that I just sent home, a poodle, that has a lot of psychological, psychological issues and neurotic. When I put the collar on that dog, that dog completely changed for the worse. That never been used. And I know for a fact the owner never used the, mm. the collar, right? but just couldn't function. That has nothing to do with the e-collar. It wasn't used. It was just any new environment, any new situation, any new thing the dog has an issue with. Mm. Am I going to focus on the e-collar? No. I'm going to focus on making that dog as strong as I can mentally, which hasn't been easy, right? But we will get there. It's just going to be slower than most, Yeah. right? It's going to be slower than most. So, so there's many different aspects and angles to this that people don't get to see behind the scenes. That's why I tried to show that stuff. And I did talk about that dog publicly, right? I took two very weak dogs in at the same time. The one I thought I was going to have a good time training and one I thought I was going to hate training. 
it was flip-flopped. Both mm. dogs made a liar out of me. Yeah. And that's that's just part of the, the business, you know? Is that the you have a you had a Doberman that you worked with yeah. recently, right? Yeah, yeah, I dreaded that dog because that dog would pee anytime you went near it. I mean, just empty the bladder and I'm like, this is gonna be night very scared of everything, you know. And within a couple of days, I couldn't wait to wake up and work with this dog. Yeah, that's great. It's like she was my you know, I'd play a game where I'd sit down on his crate top and I'd be like, Where is Remy? And she's sitting right in front of me and she'd be like, Look, I'm like, oh. hey, I'm right here. I'm like, man, I don't see my girl, you know? And she's like, oh, she's hitting me. And I'm like, where did she go? I'm like, hey, Steph, you see Remy? And eventually she'd get behind me and she'd sit on top of my head and look down at my face. And I would just laugh, you know? But I loved her. But the other dog's a really sweet dog, too. She's just different. Yeah. I don't like her any less. It's tougher to work with and more frustrating. But I have to change what I'm doing with her. And I'm going to make... A lot of mistakes along the way mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to find something that makes that dog tick you know i can't say oh this method this technique doesn't work that way mm -hmm. how could i get up inside her head mm -hmm. when i took both dogs home this weekend with the poodle you know i don't do go home lessons if i have access to people locally because for me the dogs aren't in mindset to just enjoy your dog I'll see you in a few days when the dog settles in. Really? Yeah, but and, and I saw a tremendous change when I started doing that, but I still spent a couple of hours with each owner, sitting down, bullshit and talking, watching the dog in their environment, mm. talking about different things, doing a little something here and there when it needed to be issued. But as far as training, like I do nothing. If you're from out of state, far away, then you need to spend a few days with me because this is going to take a while, right? If I want this to last forever, I have to educate you. But if I have access to you, mean within, if you're within two hours of me, take the dog home. We're not training now, right? And come back. Because first of all, who doesn't dread a go-home lesson? Right. And what I have, one of the most valuable things I've learned over the years is owners don't learn nothing in an hour. They learn nothing in two hours. This dog training stuff is not easy for people. As a matter of fact, it goes against all human habits. Right. Everything that the dog understands goes against the human habit. So I take things incredibly slow, and I give out just a little bit that I need the owners to do because when they understand just a little bit, then we can build on that. But when you get someone that, say, was on vacation – they did the board and train when they're on vacation. They just landed last night exactly. or this morning. Yeah. They're coming to get their dog. Their dog hasn't seen them in a month. The dog's excited to see them. The kids are excited to see the dog. I'm um, say, okay, don't let the dog do that. Put him in a place. Oh, let's start working on him. No, 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 no. No one is in a mind frame to train. Hey, go have fun. Enjoy your Well, what should we do? Enjoy her. Enjoy your dog. But what if she does this? Just enjoy her. You dealt with this for a long time. I'll see you in a couple of days and everything will go better. I promise you. And listen, I learned that the hard way. I had a Doberman that made me look like a fool. Like made me, oh my God, this dog made me look so stupid. He was a difficult dog to break through with. He just was not impressive with me, impressed with me, right? I had to really work to get this dog's like true love and admiration. He was a lot. But once I got it, he was amazing. Now, thank God I send videos to the owner all the time. So at least they see me working with him, right? Mm. When I went to do that dog's go home, his owner and the owner's adult daughter came to pick him up. And we went to do the go home. This dog did nothing. I mean, nothing. Gave me two big middle fingers and I was devastated. Both 
The owners were devastated. You could see the look of disappointment on their face. And I was very unprofessional because I was frustrated, so I was pissed. And I felt like an asshole. I this did. was recently? Just a few years ago. Not that long ago, right? right? And I was really unhappy. I said, just take the dog home, you know? And they're getting ready. I guess, no, no, no. I said, give me the dog. And I walked down the street. But where they could see me, so they didn't think I was, like, beating the dog, right? And I did some real simple, basic work away from the owners. And I encouraged him. And the dog did everything I asked so they could see. And then I came back and said, now take him home, right? And I said, I'll see you next week. And I went to their house a week later. And it was complete opposite. This dog, for the first time ever, was completely off-leash and, like, doing amazing things. And the owners were just, like, completely thrilled. And I said, no more go-home lessons for me. Like, this dog taught me a good lesson. It took mm. a Doberman to tell me, hey, you're doing this wrong, you know. Get me out of here. I'll do what you want next week. And, and it, was, it was such a blessing because now that's how I do it. And so I never dread the go-home. Right, because that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of stress on everyone—the dog, the humans, the trainer—and now here, take your dog, go enjoy him. I'll see you next week. Everything's better since then. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's it's it is an interesting um, pressure. It's an interesting pressure because you're the professional. Sure, I paid you all this money, and for the majority of our clients, I would say sixty to seventy percent are from out of state. Mm -hmm. So. We don't have that luxury, but we have the, I do an out-of-state program. We call it the out-of-state program, even if you're from like Manhattan or something, mm -hmm. where you come and you work with me for three days mm -hmm. just so I can teach you. Sure. And I tell people all the time, if you have a, um, you know, a dog that's kind of driving you nuts or, you know, there's not behavioral issues, the board and train's great because we can get all the grunt work out of the way, mm -hmm. the obedience, the thresholds, um, just the understanding of pressures and things like that. And then things are good to go. But it is, um, and, I, and I agree, I think my staff, um, you know, it's kind of like we're holding our breath of like what, what dog is going to show up at the go home. Mm -hmm. That's why when we, when I was giving you the tour here, we have those windows. And that's something I actually took from the Monks, Monks Anuski. When, when I went up to do a podcast with Brother Christopher up there, because they're close to yeah. here, I uh, saw that they had that two-way mirror. So when they did go homes, mm -hmm. they could use that. And I'm like, that's brilliant mm -hmm. because you can have your cake and eat it too. You can say, hey, here, here's what we're doing without you. Because mm -hmm. once you enter the picture, natural regression is going to happen mm -hmm. because, the, like you said, sure. the dog's excited. They're ex and they don't – I've done this with people, and they do not – I'm like, you just spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this training, and they could care less. Mm -hmm. They just want to – that's it. Grab their puppy. That's it. And yeah. you're like, shit. And it, it kind of sucks for us mm -hmm. because we're like, yeah, but did you see all the, mm -hmm. did you see the, <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. Let me ask you this because I think people who follow you and, you know, love the work that you do, do you, you don't have staff or do no. you? No, no, never. Okay. I'd be a nightmare to work for. Okay. For, for one, I don't want to grow. I, I'm at an age where I value my time more than money. And believe me, sometimes, like, the thought of what I'm leaving on the table is like, you know, maybe I should push a little more. But then as soon as I get really busy, yeah, the money's nice. But I enjoy my time more than anything now. Like, that's the most important thing to me, you know. So mm -hmm. I think I'm at a, a, a nice spot where I make a really good living doing this. Right, I don't have any overhead. If I want to take a month off, like come middle of October, 
I'm no longer a dog trainer, but I'm not a husband. I'm not a father. I'm nothing. I'm a deer hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call me for, I told my mom, if you die during the rut, I can't be there. Don't <laughs> die in November. Right? <laughs> no, that's, that's it. So I have a lot of friends in this industry now, of course, with, you know, as long as I've been doing it. And when I started going to their places and seeing their incredible places like this, you have an incredible place, right? Okay. At first I was like, wow, I got to, you know, I got to do this. And my one friend, my first friend, Shannon, who had, like four amazing facilities up in St. Louis. She's like, don't. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, she said something that I never forgot. She goes, I really envy the way you still get to do it. She's like, you still train dogs. She's like, I put out fires and I run a business. Mm. And and I trust her and respect her so much. I was like, that's all I needed to hear. Like, or from that day on, I changed. Don't, don't think I never get the urge. Believe me, I do. But I'm like such a little bitch about things now. I complain whenever I have anything I have to do. Mm. Like, I want to be by the pool today <laughs> with my music on, laying on my float, you know? That's yeah. what I want to do. And so no matter how easy we have it, Tom, at least for me, I'm going to find something to complain about. Yeah. You know, I told you I hated the in-home demo thing and stuff. I took a whole year off. I thought I'd never train dogs again because I was just fried. I was tired. I was burnt out, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And after about a year, I mean, I really missed it. And my wife said, why don't you have people come to you? I said, no one's going to drive that far for me to train their dog. And she goes, well, what do you have to lose? And so, unfortunately, I listened to her again. And I never had to leave the house again. And guess what? I still bitched when people were coming to the house to train their dog, right? And I'm like, and she'll put me in my place sometimes, like, how how could you complain? Mm-hmm. Like, you have it so good. And she's right, I do. But I think it's just the nature of the human sometimes, at least for me. You know, you tend to complain and you take for granted things that we have that maybe you forget. Five years ago, you said, hey, if you could do this and have this, how would that be? Like, better than hitting the lottery. I'd never ask for anything again. Yeah. And then you get it and you find something else to bitch about. You know what I mean? I think that's with anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you become Phil Collins or Post Malone or anybody, you're mm-hmm. like, man, you know, hmm. Well, you work with a lot of high-profile people. Yeah. I work with high-profile people. I tell my family this all the time. They have the same problems we do, but usually bigger. Yeah. And I haven't met a celebrity yet that is as happy and satisfied as I am. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's, But I think it's, it's also just a... A personality thing like for me I don't know what it and again I'm figuring myself out as a man and as a human um, a big thing for me is is balancing out the happiness and uh, I have this innate ability to save a dog's life which I don't take for granted I think it's a gift I think certain people just get like a like you get something from God or how you were born, your DNA just sure. allows you to do something for me to same thing with you and a lot of other great dog trainers out there. I can help a dog owner within five minutes and change their life just in, just by going over very simple things, you know, people are like, wow. And for me not to offer those things is to me. And that's why I started really creating content was just selfish. I'm like, I can, if I can scale this, this is a beautiful thing. But then I also really, really enjoy the process of content creation. Of course. I love, like, I'm I'm envious of my videographer, Abby, sometimes because she gets to 
create these stories and um, make this beautiful thing. And I love that piece. I think I'm, again, grateful for that because it's made the career path of being able to be also a content creator full time as a as a as a mm -hmm. job so much easier because there's some people who don't like it. They don't like filming. They don't like being they don't like comfortable in front of the camera. And I like love that process. Mm -hmm. But going back to what you're saying, we do have a really cool thing. And I always I think your your wife and, and my wife and anybody's significant other and their partner. It, that's I think that's how it's supposed to be, where they kind of pinch you a little bit and they're sure. like, hey, Sure. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you know, you're living this, this really cool life. What's the, what's the coolest thing? It, maybe one thing in particular, maybe a couple things, or maybe just the sequence of things. Like what's been a really cool thing during your journey as being, a, cause obviously you had a, you had a great full-time mm -hmm. job before this yeah. and now you're full-time doing training. What's been like the coolest experience not necessarily like one dog or one person mm -hmm. but what do you think if you can sit back and be like what's the coolest thing about your job right now i've made absolutely amazing friends through this thing lifelong friends all over the world and that's something i really really enjoy like i i develop pretty deep relationships with a lot of my clients you know and i really really enjoy that immensely i do um my job for a long time, I made a really good living as a federal agent, right? But business-wise, it held me back on what I can do, whether it was dogs or anything. But in reality, and my wife has pointed this out a lot, it was such a blessing because I never had to train dogs to make a living. I was able to do it because I loved it. Mm -hmm. And so after doing it for this long, I still love it. Like, I can't wait to see what's this dog going to give me, what I'm going to struggle with. And I think that's a big part of it. So there's people out there. We talk about a lot of the older people, right, who, who put out a lot of negative stuff and bitch and complain and bash people. They were kind of lost because if you weren't on social media and at least keeping up enough to do that, it was going to hurt you. It was going to hurt you. So it cracks me up when I see people who bashed all the social media people and YouTube, and now it's their whole business. They're mm. pushing it kind of like so hypocritical, right? Or I saw someone recently, this really bothered me, and, and maybe it's completely off the subject, but I don't, I just, I'm thinking about the ugly side of this industry, right? Ooh, yeah. When you take someone who bashes the franchises really bad, the, the couple of big e collar franchises, right? I understand it. I've never done that. For, for a very specific reason. There's really good trainers in both of the major dog training franchises. I know many of them, right? And it's so unfair to paint everyone with the same brush. And I'm very clear when I do seminars about that. And there were two young ladies once, I was doing a seminar in Texas, and they came up, they were very quiet. They never said anything the whole time. And they came up to me at lunchtime and they said, we just want to thank you. And I said, why is that? She said, because we, we work for one of those franchises and like we never want to tell people because people bash us. And then they said, we're actually not allowed to be here. We're not allowed to go to your seminar. Wow. <laughs> so we're here in secret, but we really appreciate that. And, and I mean it. And listen, here's what I tell people. If you take 100 dog trainers from the major franchises, you're gonna have a lot of really bad dog trainers in that group, right? That shouldn't be training dogs. 
But if you take a hundred dog trainers that aren't in the franchises, you're going to get a lot of really bad dog trainers that shouldn't be training dogs. So I think it's really important that you judge the individual. But back to my original point, I heard someone say how much they always talking bad about the franchise and that, but then saying how much they love this one person who's like created the whole thing. That sickens me because that tells me who you really are on a person. People that have money and are in a high position get treated very differently from someone who doesn't have that kind of name or prestige. And that I have a problem with, right? Mm. So I don't care. One of the most important clients I've ever had in my life that I'll never forget, and I've dealt with super wealthy people and really powerful people, was a busboy who saved up his tips for a year for me to train his dog. Right now, at the time, if I would have known what I know now, I would have never taken that that dude's money. I just wouldn't take it today. Right. And he's someone that when I met him, he had a highly dog aggressive pit bull. Imagine that. Right. He lived in a really bad part of Nashville, like really bad part. Like when I'd go see him, I'm like, holy, like everyone's just watching us. And I'm like, dude, like, Woody, you don't belong here. Like, you're in these, like, I have no choice, right? And um, he loved this dog. Like, he really loved this dog, but he saved up for a year. So think about that, how insane that is, right? And he was doing incredible work. And then, as we make all this progress, he calls me and he says, hey, my best friend got kicked out of his place, and he's got to move in with me. I'm like, okay. I'm like... It's like, he's got a dog. I'm like, oh, dude, like, now you're asking for a lot, right? Like, holy crap. Okay, so this is going to be tough. Like, she's doing great, but this is a whole different level, right? Now you're, okay, let's see what we could do. Like, I'm going to bend over backwards for this kid who has done the same for me and this dog. So I show up, very rough neighborhood. I show up, his friend is like, you know, a little different looking and really out there and quirky and weird clothes on and just covered in tats head to toe and he's got this little fat black pug right i'm like okay i go what's the dog's name and he goes rerun and i said no fucking way i'm calling this dog rerun right here where we're at it's not gonna happen <laughs> it's not gonna we're changing the dog's name right now as we speak because i don't want anyone to think we're mocking anyone and we're gonna get ourselves killed here yeah this dog's name is no longer rerun fuck that oh sorry i don't know if i can curse on here or not you can yeah, <laughs> okay and uh and you know what this dude who was a bus boy and saved up his his money for a year those dogs lived together never had a fight Never had a fight. Seeing things like that and being reminded of that, that's, that's some of the greatest stuff in the world right mm -hmm. there, by far, you know? And it's, it's be, yeah, is it good, is it cool for you to see because your expectation was it was going to be a disaster and it wasn't? No, just um, to see how much you affected someone's life in a positive yeah. way. Yep. That's the, you think about it, it's a pretty selfish thing. Yeah. Right? It is like people and I'm, and I'm sure you get this like people are makes me uncomfortable how people how good people are to me. It really does. And I'm not good at accepting things. I'm, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with getting gifts and accolades and stuff. Yeah. But when you think about it, 
by far the favorite thing I do is I do free combat vet se seminars. That is hands down by far my favorite thing I do in dog training. As a matter of fact, all the free stuff I do is by far my favorite stuff. Maybe just because it's no pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Can't No one can complain. It's free. But some of the people I've met through that have become lifelong friends, and it's at a whole different level. Their story and their life is very different. And I am uncomfortable accepting praise for that because I get a lot more out of it than they do. There's a lot of satisfaction for me. Mm -hmm. And so you almost feel guilty, like, yeah, it looks good, like people are praising you, you're doing something great, but at the same time, it, it's kind of selfish because I get so much satisfaction out of it. Yeah. You know, and I don't even know how to put it into words. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not charging these people, but they're, it, it's very much for me too. You know what I mean? I do. I, I, we are going through that right now. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, again, like you have an innate ability to show up with your brain and your arms to, to save a dog's life, to change the dynamic in a marriage, to, to change the dynamic in a, in a, in a family. You can just show up and just change things. Hey, you, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. Let's go. And then, you know, a day you can change everything. And because of that ability of yours, it, it, it does become very overwhelming. And I'm a very, um, I, I really like helping people. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Like, it doesn't matter if people are trying to take a selfie and I run over, like, let me take it, let me take it. Like, I just love that. They're like, oh yeah, please take it, you know? Um, but I, it is challenging for me because what's that point when you start developing your career where people start bombarding you with like, I need help. Um, you know, thousands of messages coming in on mm. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, email, phone calls. They're like, this dog's going to die unless you show up. And it's mm. like, mm. it does become very overwhelming and it, it, it plays a toll on me mentally. Cause I agree. I'm like, I could save that dog's life, but if I did that, Who's going to pay her rent? Who's going to pay the 20 other employees? Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for my son to do this? I'm like, it, it's this weird thing when you're an artist. And I think that that's what we are is we, we show up and we do things naturally and we, we feel it. And it's this, it's this art form. It's not a very traditional like box of like, I went to school, I got a degree, you come and pay me for that degree. I think it's just you show up and you're, you can just do it. You could just you could just be put somewhere and do something without a lot of thought to it, and that becomes overwhelming because people are like wanting your service. And I've done the free dog training thing before, where I would go to a park and I would say, you know, mm -hmm. offer free dog training, and you'd be surprised. People always say, "Like you must have a line," and I'm like, Abby and I will spend three hours at a park with a gigantic free mm -hmm. dog training sign and get one person mm -hmm. if we're lucky. And we're like, yeah. wow, because it's this weird thing, right? If you charge $5,000 an hour, there might be a line. Mm -hmm. But if you go out and do it for free because you just, sure. you know, you want to create good content and you want to give back, nobody will do that. It's weird, right? You like, hit on something like I don't think people understand, right? So for a long time, I took pride in answering every phone call every email, every text message, I responded to everyone. But after a while, you physically can't do that anymore if you're getting a few hundred a day, right? And 
the one thing that does set me off, geez, this just happened like two, three days ago, dude, where I really lost it on someone. Like, Because this is what bothers me the most. I was at a seminar once, and someone came up to me, and they were kind of a little bit nasty and ticked off that they had sent me these messages, and you know, I didn't have the decency now because I'm too big to contact. I said, let me show you something. And I showed them one of three emails where I had 50,000 unread emails. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, my God. I'm like, I, I never saw your message. Like, I'm not blowing you off. But the other day, I got a call about a month ago, I guess, Someone was traveling pretty far to come to a seminar next year for me with with a very serious case, like a serious case involving a child, very serious case. So I started spending some time on the phone talking to them, helping them, having them send me videos, see what they're dealing with, send me videos of their trainer, everything. So I'm trying to help this person, right? And I'm going to continue to help this person. I was going to continue to help this person. I asked for certain videos, this and that. Well, apparently they sent me videos. And because I didn't respond to them immediately, they said, well, you know, something to the effect, I guess I pissed you off or something that mm-hmm. you don't want, something to like that. And I lost my shit. Like I really did. And I think my response was, okay, so the 49 other videos that I received today from clients that I have to review that are at least four minutes long a piece." Not to mention everything from the previous week that I'm trying to catch up on, but I'm supposed to just take yours, who I'm trying to help, and just ignore everyone else. That kind of stuff sets me off because they don't understand how much comes in. You know, I'm one person. I'm one person. Mm -hmm. And it was making me miserable when I was trying to keep up with it all, right? And now I don't. The whole reason I started doing online consultations well, as I said, if I start charging, no one will want to talk to me anymore. That was truly the whole purpose of it, yeah. right? Guess what? That backfired big time. Yep. And then I said, I can't help someone online. Mm-hmm. And then the first person kind of really pushed me to do it. And I said, fine, send me these two videos. And I saw everything he was doing. They said, okay, let's talk. And like mad success crazy yeah. oh my god i'm sounding like my 13 year old son i just said mad success <laughs> renzo that's your fault right like amazing results i was like holy crap okay so then i realized if i have people send me very specific videos of them training their dog like you could tell a lot yeah like amazing things can happen you know but at the same time that i refuse to go overboard with I don't want to do one more than one a day. If I get two in a day, I'm like, oh, I'm miserable, right? So the other day, I have, I have to take two dogs home, which I'm not doing the lessons, but I still spend a couple hours there. I have two online consultations, and I have a private client. That's a lot for one person. Yeah. It's a lot. And by the end of the day, I was fried. Guess what? I get to do nothing with my dogs. Yeah, I have a two-year-old German Shepherd that I'm competing with. I get to do nothing with him, right? So people think he, he looks pretty good, and I guess he does. But if you realize how much I get to actually work with my own dog, holy yeah. crap, I better be good at training my own dog because I don't have the luxury of having any kind of time. People say, we have hour, two hours a day, how much you work your dog. I laugh. I don't get to do that a week with my dog. Yep. If I get 10 minutes here and there, I better take advantage of that 10 minutes here and there. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of great things about doing this, 
but mentally and physically, there's so much that drain everything because it never stops coming. It never stops coming. You know this. Yeah. That's why I brought my dog today because Sundays are kind of our, like our off mm-hmm. our off day. Right, right. And <laughs> you're, you're doing day. something, right? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I brought her just because I'll play tug with her in a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, it, 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 is, uh, it, it is something that a lot of people don't realize. And, and what drives me nuts here is uh, the quick question get that message quick a quick question mm-hmm. I'm like there's no chance no shot in hell mm-hmm. that your question is going to be quick for me no because you're going to tell me that your dog uh, bit your neighbor or your dog habitually barks out the window at the ups driver and that's not going to be quick you know what come in for a couple of weeks and we'll talk and people don't realize that and that's why so sometimes i get questions about um scalability on businesses and and you know, cause I went from being homeless to here and I'm not saying here is a big deal, but it's a lot different and better than being oh, homeless. This is, this is a big deal. You've done real well. well. Thank you. This is a very impressive setup you have here. Thank you. I, yeah, I, I just, I try to tell people that it's same thing, how you kind of started with your onlines is I didn't ever ha- have an envision of having a huge facility with employees necessarily what ended up happening was is when I started again putting up my I'm like you know this conversation with this dog owner just helped them tremendously and I know that they drove through probably 25 other dog trainers Mm -hmm. to get to me so I'm just going to set this up here and I'm going to record it and I'm going to put it out and then YouTube started you know people liked it and they were like wow and and so say you know sir same thing with you and then all the inquiries kept coming in and you're one person and it was overwhelming I'm like I can't do this because and that's why now I've kind of spearheaded my 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 mind and brand to do content creation because it at scale will help people because they don't have the resources right so I'd rather put out a podcast between you and I and motivate somebody in Bangladesh to do to go help dogs and hopefully they do it right but that's not up to me but I because of the inquiries I would get I'm like all right I'm gonna hire one person and then another person, and then a this, mm-hmm. and then a that, and that's that's I've safeguarded my I've tried to safeguard my my mental health as much as I can because again I think in this industry it's it's it, it, I think in any industry right there's there's so much that can overwhelm you as a human being and it could be it could weigh on you sure. because you you can help you can help there's no question mm-hmm. you can definitely help especially if it's a person like you and I that just we can do it it's mm-hmm. not like Anyway, so that's how I got the facility. So I'm like, okay, I can hire one trainer and then two trainers. And then we got so tight where I'm like, I have a daycare. I have a board and train. I have have, um, private trainings. I have consultations all happening under one little roof. And then then we just started hiring people. And that's how – and just for anybody who's listening – that's how a lot of people kind of organically get into this space right. is I'm like, man, I need, now I need to, cause I used to mop my own floors. I used to do my own schedule. And now again, like I don't do any of that, but it's not because I wanted people to do it for me. It's because the old saying of you can't, what is it? You can't pour something from an empty bucket or empty spout or whatever. Mm-hmm. Meaning if I'm trying to help this plant, but there's nothing in this tank, the plant's going to die. And then I don't have anything left. So I think that organic scalability, kind of like what you said, you're like, fine, I'm just going to, if you want to, if I'm getting 10,000 emails, man, I'm just going to start charging people because this is, it kind of, it kind of aggravates you because Mm -hmm. people, like you're a father, you're a husband, 
you're retired, so you really should be doing what maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> some other people do, like hang out by the pool all day, yep. but because your love for dogs, mm-hmm. it, it, it is it is hard, but I do have empathy towards people that, you know, again, they message you, and I have multiple people handling my social media where I don't even, I don't even go on it that much myself, but the amount of people that are like, hey, quick question, and, you know, I emailed, or they'll call and they say, I, I emailed, or I messaged on Instagram, and it's like, it's it's a very challenging. It game. gets fr- it gets frustrating, and that could you know burns you out. You ask me like, you don't have any employees. Listen, my kids are thirteen and eighteen. They don't pick up dog poop unless I'm away. Not because they won't, because I know they can't do it as good as I do. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not joking. That's a problem, mm-hmm. right? So I'm a very easy person to get along with. Like if I hired someone. They're going to like me as a probably we're gonna have a good time together, but it would be so hard for me not to be such a psychopath and so yep. type A. Like, and when I tell people that they think I'm kidding, I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't ask my kids to pick up dog poop, yeah, because I have a specific way I like to do it, yep. you know. And my wife's like, why don't you have them go do it? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm okay with it. And listen, these are the little things that I miss when I'm gone. Yeah. Like I don't mind any of it when I'm when I'm I miss my day. I like being in a routine. Sure. That's what I like doing. Like my ideal day is if I can get up at five thirty, <laughs> take care of my dogs, right? Spend a little time just getting myself ready. If I could throw Dante in a truck and go do some tracking before yeah. anyone's even up, that's, that's ideal. Because now I've accomplished something I really need to accomplish, right? Because then maybe around lunchtime I could do a little bit of obedience with mm-hmm. him, right? And those are the things that I love to do that I rarely get to do anymore. Because if I'm working with other people, that's going to consume time. But now my kids, you're you're about to enter the greatest time in your life. Your boy is one, right? Mm-hmm. So over the next few years, it's going to be the greatest time in your life. Believe me when I tell you, because I get, I'm having a hard time coming to the fact that my daughter's leaving. Like, I don't, I can't even talk about it, you know, and I'm here. It's her last weekend home. And then the day she moves in next week, I'm in LA doing a seminar. Mm. And that's just, that was booked so far out, you know, I can't change that, you know, but the one thing that I did change a while back, I got so sick of being away from them. So when Sophia was like six, I said, let's go, me and you this weekend. So she just went everywhere with me training dogs. And those are some of the best memories I have in my life. Mm-hmm. And then we'd, we'd schedule where we're going to have lunch, where we're going to try. And we had the, we just had the time of our life. And she was just the coolest kid to hang out with, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of my fondest memories of her is I was doing a group class in Nashville at a Whole Foods parking lot, very busy area of Nashville. And we had, geez, there was probably like 100 people standing around watching the group class, right? Yeah. And it's when I had my Dutch Shepherd. I told you I had a female Dutch Shepherd. She used to come with us. And I'm talking to this group, and there was an older lady in the group who goes, oh, excuse me, Larry, I don't mean to cut you off, but should she be doing that? And I turned around, and my six-year-old daughter has my bite sleeve on and she's got my Dutch shepherd on the bite sleeve and she's working the dog. And I looked and I watched how my Dutch, he was like barely going like she was so gentle with her. I was like, 
probably not, but I think she's okay. Like those are things I'll never forget, you know, and then, and then they grow really fast. So your little guy, if you're still doing seminars, if you don't get burnt out from it, you're going to be like, okay, you guys are coming with me. Right. And that's where you're going. That's going to be eventually the most important thing, how you gear your business. So you're going to want to, not that I'm a business expert, but your goal will eventually be, I can guarantee you, to have it running itself, to have people running it to where you don't have to be here because you're not going to want to miss your kid's first game, you know, whatever your kid's into. You're going to want to spend time with them when they're young yeah, because it flies by, right? Mm -hmm. And if he's into traveling with you and doing dog things, which when they're young, they want to do everything dad does, right? That'll be, it'll, it'll, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. But when you start getting the hate online, I know. your kids see that. I know. Right? And I've never gotten a lot of hate, but your kids will see it if you get any, and it upsets them a lot. Yeah. You know, it really upsets them. So there's days where you let something get to you. You can have 10,000 amazing messages telling you how you changed their life, how awesome you are, and then you allow one douchebag to ruin your day and override all that good. Why do we do that? I don't know. It affects <laughs> your whole family life. Yeah. Because then they just think dad's in a bad mood. And it took my family a long time to realize, you know, maybe something was said online or something, you know. And, and eventually I told them, look, guys, sometimes you, you don't understand it's not all good stuff. You know, you don't see the bad stuff. I don't share that with you. But when you do, then they kind of understand why you're such a bad mood or upset that day you know yeah you try to i would say right now my business is self-operating i come here sometimes once a month sometimes no kidding yeah that's awesome yeah sometimes once a month sometimes depends on the like right now is our busy season because we're we're seminaring and Mm -hmm. we're traveling a lot for work um so so in the summer i'm you know i'm here very infrequently just filming and working with clients which is great because I have a whole but that's my that that was my thing is I was like I can't let this consume me because if I want to go out and and be in front of millions of people every month which is what we do there's got to be a system there's got to be legs because I've seen people get really really big and they have no legs they have Mm -hmm. no brand they have no legacy they have they have nothing that kind of grounds them to to handle that because it's just like anybody else that you know one thing blows up or you get a special somewhere and you have no legs you have no ability to 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 keep that sustainable Mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm really proud of the you know that type of work and my wife is is incredible she's 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 she went to college for business and she I mean we weren't married at the time and she didn't, my business, what it is not what it is now, but she's a big part of, she's the biggest piece to the business and she does everything. So right now I do have the opportunity where my family does travel. Nice. And somebody recently asked me, I can't, I can't remember where I was, but somebody said like, what is your definition of success? And I said, well, success for me is what I'm doing right now because I, I do have opportunities to travel the world and I do. And I bring my whole family. So I bring my in-laws. I bring my parents. And then my, my dad and my mom split up when I was young. So they're significant others. So my stepmom. I bring my sister. I'll bring my son. And I'll bring my wife. And anywhere that I go. So we do London, Australia, Paris. Um, 
even like the U.S. tour that we did, we always I, I get to bring my whole people with me, and I'm and the the reason why I get to do that is because I don't care about making the money on seminars, so I'll cash out all of the earnings for my seminars just to make those memories with my family, and I don't know how that sounds. I hope it doesn't come off a certain no, way. No, it's it's uh it's well worth it. It'll, it's totally worth it. It'll be the best money you ever gave up. Yes, there's no doubt about it. My wife does. You know, my I love. I uh, growing up, I was pretty. Not like poverty poor, but I did. We didn't get to travel. Sure, we didn't have a lot. Yeah, and then when my parents split, uh, it was harder, right, to mm-hmm. to do anything and to kind of get together. And you know, now that I have this career that I have, it's pretty cool to say, hey, we're all going here. Like we're all gonna go to these places. And yeah. the other thing that I remind my my because my wife is again the money person, and I didn't grow up with money, so maybe I'm not the best with it financially. I just like I'm I'm more inve- I'm more invested right now in making memories because my dad's seventy something 74 maybe mm-hmm. you know my brother's close to 40 we're all like six years apart so mm-hmm. so anyway um i'm like you know there's going to be a time where my dad's not going to be able to get on a plane that's right and your parents are not going to be able to do this mm-hmm. so right now so my definition of success right now is to be able to afford to do that like when i go places we bring eight or nine people deep and i pay for everything i pay for hotels i pay for flights i pay for everything and i and i am so grateful for that opportunity because at some point we're going to look back on that when me and my family are kind of by our, not by ourselves but we're not going to have grandparents around yeah you know? th- this is the the whole section of this podcast i'm going to need you to edit out <laughs> because i don't need my family hitting up to travel with us <laughs> hey larry all kidding aside you're never going to regret spending money on experiences over yeah. material things there's nothing you own Right. It's going to matter, right? Yeah. But the traveling thing and being with your family, that's amazing that, that you could do that. You see, those are the things people don't see. No, probably not. Right? Those are the things that people don't see. Um, but that's that's pretty amazing. Mm. I mean, that that's something that your family will never forget. You'll never forget. Yeah. And when you're when your boy and if you have more kids get older and you're doing that, like like you like you said, you're your family's not going to be around forever, the older people. Yeah. So do all you can. You yeah, know? and it's it's important to me because, you know, again, like my mom was a single mom. My dad moved back home because he had to, and my mom was just a single mom working as a nurse, and then I had my brother and my sister. And so we, we just – I just value that family. And if anybody out there has had, like, kind of a split family, you know what I'm talking about because it's – it sucks because you're not – you're never together. And so now because of my career um, – I'm able to bring everybody together because of that. And that's something, again, I'll never. I think there'll be people that watch this podcast that maybe don't like you, just like there'll be people that watch this podcast that don't like me. And I think from them learning that about you, that will change their whole opinion of you. Well, I think the opposite. I'm like, man, people are going to think I'm a douche because I fly everybody around. No, that that's that's not, to me, that's very impressive. That tells me who you are as a person. Fuck the dog stuff. I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. It's the the stuff that really matters is how you treat the people around you. You know what that means to your to your family. That be that be kick ass to yeah. to do that. You know. But now I know. I go back to Australia. There's no way I'm going to be able to go by myself. My wife's yeah. going to listen to this, and she's like, "Yeah, we're all going." I'm like fucking Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think like there's two there's two things in my mind. When I when I talk about that is a, because I I have an I think imposter syndrome, all the time where I'm like, when's this gonna end? Mm-hmm. Right? 
like when is this going to end? Like I, I have these opportunities and I, and again, I, I'm proud and, and happy and grateful for the brand that I've created because I just like other people now that are getting into the dog training space, especially on social media. Um, I feel like I've, in my own opinion, um, again, I have this brand that I'm like really proud of. Like I'm not willing to do certain things for certain things. I'm, I'm, you know, and I, and I work with, I work with really good brands. I have a lot of sponsorships that I'm very proud of that I'm, that I'm able to do. Like, you know, I, I just the other day, it's hard to like, when you're going so fast and you're grabbing so many gears, it's sometimes it's, it's hard to reflect on the things you've done. Two weeks ago, I was in that merch room that I showed you and I, that e-collar box, the, the no bad dogs one with it. I, I sat there and I just was looking at it and I, this is dead ass. I said, I have my own e-collar. And I looked up at my staff and they're all in their staff room, which is right across the, the way, the hallway there. And I'm like, that's so cool. And they're like looking at me like, they're like, whoa, are you okay? Mm. You've had this out for two years. Yeah. But I, and I almost for the first time looked at it and I kind of digested what that meant. Sure. I'm like, this is, this is really cool. So there's also some, some, some parts to, I guess, being able to do certain things where, and that's why it's great that I have Abby and other videographers that travel around because we can document it too with photos and yeah. videos. And that's really cool because I think we'll, we'll look back on that. Sure. But anyway, I just, I just think it's important like when you're going through life to be able to do the things that you can do at that moment, but also be responsible. So like my wife, again, she's, she's the brains behind the operation mm -hmm. for sure. There's no doubt or question. I'm proud of that because she's a beautiful human inside and out. But again, going back, it's like, when is this, is this going to end? So there's part of that. Then the other part is, is like, Hey man, you've created a brand that, that I'm always going to work hard at because it's just who I am. Like mm -hmm. I, I get really anxious if I'm not working, I get really anxious. And that's, that there's like this two-part series of when I do travel. See, that's the double-edged sword that I probably don't talk about enough is if I travel just to go on vacation, Larry, I, um, I think you're the opposite. You could probably go on the beach and have cocktails and just be like, yeah. All day. Yeah. See, <laughs> I, get, I, I have anxiety. Like if I, if I go and I just sit there, I'm like. I used to be like that. Yeah. I, I, I've heard that before where yeah. people have been like, I used to be like that. So I'm oh. hoping someday yeah. I can enjoy that because I kind of like, again, like when I do travel with my family, it's also kind of a selfish thing for me too, because I'm like, Hey, we're going to go take vacation after this seminar. But at the same time, we're going on vacation when I'm seminaring because I'll lose my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I can't just go and do nothing. And that's why, yeah. you know, Abby, my videographer, she, I'm always like, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Even when we're done, yeah. I'm just like, I don't know what it is about me, but I'm always like, I have to be creating or doing something. I used to be the same way. I used to despise the beach. My wife always loved the beach, right? Yeah. Because I couldn't just lay there and do nothing. Yeah. Like, I couldn't do it. Exactly. Now, our favorite place on earth is me and her are at the beach. We have our cooler. We have our music. I never have to leave that position. So that I've changed. But you touched on, like, imposter syndrome. I talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it's things that young people need to hear because everyone thinks it's only them. And when yeah. you bring it out, I tell someone, I, this is exactly what I said to someone the other day. I was talking to a dog trainer in uh, Mexico, I believe. Had a great conversation, great guy, like really into learning. And he struggles with all that stuff, you know. And, and I asked him, I said, let me ask you something. I said, do you think I know what I'm talking about? 
he kind of laughs like, yeah, that's why I'm talking to you. I said, do you think I'm pretty good at what I do? He said, you're great at what you do, and, you know, that's why all these people follow you. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, I struggle almost nightly when I go to sleep. At night is where it hits me, and you worry about it constantly. Mm. If you're doing enough, if you're doing right, if you're any good at this, I very rarely say yes to doing podcasts anymore. I pretty much tell everyone no, and because I've done so many of them, right? And... Even my wife asked me a while back, like, why do you say no? Turn this down and turn that down. And I said, it's very simple. I said, I'm sick of me. I don't want everyone else to be sick of me. Mm. There's nothing else I can say that I haven't said, right? I'm not, the, and it's all the same shit. Hey, how'd you get into dog training? How'd you, people know it. Mm. No one cares anymore. And I do not want people to hate my guts. I said, because believe me, I hate my guts. I watch myself, I'm like, Jesus, man, it's like the same stuff over and over, you know, and sometimes it takes someone older to kick me in the ass, and they'll say, you know, people are here just to hear you talk. Mm. It doesn't matter how many times they see you, like, they get something out of it every time. For me, that's very hard to comprehend, and I also think if you don't have those feelings, if you don't worry about that, right, then you're probably have a very, very big ego and think you're a lot more than what you really are. Yeah. When you stop worrying about can you provide value, are you any good at this? Listen, when I go do a seminar, there's going to be one or two dogs that where I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking, yep. how could I help these people? Because it's not just there's so much on the emotional side of things with the humans. They've been through hell and back. And that plays a huge part of it. And that's something that a lot of people don't touch on. I have to know what these people have been through because it's affecting everything. Yeah. And sometimes you lay there all night and you're like, that's not the route I should have taken. And there's been times where I come out the very next day and I say, I failed you yesterday. That's not the route we should have taken. We're going mm -hmm. to totally change things up today. There's been people at seminars that day one, I don't like. And there's a lot of conflict and they don't like me. And then day two, we sit down and I say, talk to me. There's something going on here. Mm. And there was one, I can't even talk about it at a seminar anymore because I try to give example and I break down every time I talk about it. There was one very difficult case. And that's all, was extremely difficult on every level. And it was not going good between me and human. Oh, you mean it was a difficulty with you and the human? Both. Okay. Both ends. And I said, talk to me. There's, I, as a matter of fact, I said in front of everyone, I said, there's more going on here that you're not telling me. And I said, I need to know. And I said, we're not going to do it publicly. We'll do it in private. Ended it there. And it was not pretty. But when I talked to that family, within seconds, I was in tears. Mm. They were in tears. It was as heavy as it gets. But now that gave me a whole new route I could take on working with them. Now I know why. Yeah. Now I know why the excuses keep coming. Now I know why they're doing this, why they're not doing this, yeah. right? Blew my mind. Changed the whole path of that seminar for those people and for myself. And you have to address the human side of things to a deep level because we all go through shit, everybody. Yeah. No one has a perfect life, right? If you have someone that is doing so great, but all of a sudden when you ask them, to provide any guidance to the dog they can't 
you think that doesn't make sense. And you ask them, just do this, and they can't, right? And then to make a long story short, when you dive deeper and you eventually find out that as a child, this person was physically and sexually abused by their father and would hide in the closet at night, and the only thing that would comfort her is her dog, then you know why. You know why this person interacts with her dog like that. Mm. Why she can't tell her dog no. Why she can't correct her dog for everything. Now it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. But this is shit people don't even think about. They think about put the e-collar on the dog. Go harder on the prong collar. They never think about what's going on with the human. Mm -hmm. What lies there so deep that they fundamentally can't tell this dog no. So there's always so much more to it. You know what I mean? And so at five years of training dogs, I was an arrogant fucker, man. I was like, give me any, this dog attacked your child, not a problem, I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. Right? That was an ego thing. I would never do that today. At 10 years, you're like, wow, man, there's still shit I don't know. Right? At 20 years in, you realize you know nothing. <laughs> you, you know nothing. Because this, think about where dog training is today as opposed to where it was 20 years ago. It's light years ahead. Take a Schutzen dog that won a national championship in 1980. And then take a Schutzen dog that came in 10th place at a national championship in 2023. And you'd be like, that's not the same training. Right. This is a different, this isn't on the same planet. Right? Different levels. And the more we learn about the animal, the better training gets and the easier it is on the dog. And the more everyone enjoys it. Right, but I think where we still lack in the industry on all ends of things is we don't spend enough time to realize who that human is and what they've been through. And when you get to that level, yeah, then it's a little easier. Listen, I had a client that I loved to death, elderly lady, okay? Best friends with one of the most famous humans to ever walk the planet, right? So I loved being with her, and I love this woman. So one day I said, I'm going to take her and this other lady that I'm working with, because I think they're going to do great together, and we need to work. It was a pit bull and a Rottweiler. Both at, we're going to have a great lesson today. I go out. We go to Centennial Park in Nashville, which is a big park right on the main drag, and we go to start working, and this elderly lady that I love to death starts cursing this other woman out. You F and C, this and that, you dumb motherfucker, like going, and I'm going, what just happened? You know, it was a different person. Like, it got bad. It got, I had to really rein her in. It got bad. To but her then, friend? She was saying that to her friend? That wasn't her friend. That was my other client. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, and I'm like, you, oh my you. God, what did I just do, right? Wow. Well, later on, I found out she's bipolar and didn't take her meds. Wow. Now, this made sense. Why all of a sudden she did this with the dog and didn't do this? All these things come into play. Yeah. This same individual that called me with this Rottweiler, that what she told me, when I left home that day, I told my wife, I think this is the dog that gets me. Like, she told me some scary stuff, and I'm going to check this dog out, right? They live in a, in a condo complex in Nashville, four stories high. They hang out on the top one. I go in to see them. Awesome people. Like, really took to them immediately. Awesome Rottweiler. There's nothing wrong with this dog. He's a cool dog. But he's way too much dog for them. Way too much, right? 
their main issue was they couldn't watch TV with him in the house. He would attack the TV. It was bad. But he wouldn't do it when I was there. I think I wrote about this in my book, maybe. It's called My Dumbest Day of Training or something like that. So this guy has an idea for me. He goes, listen, he's not going to do it with you here, obvious. So how about next week when you come, I leave the door unlocked. You tell me when you get here, and you just come in and catch him. And I'm like, me being the very intelligent human I am, I go, yeah, okay. And then as soon as I said those words, I go, what the fuck did I just agree to, right? So I pull up at the house, and I hear the Rottweiler, rough, rough, rough. And I'm sitting there going, I don't believe I'm about to do this. I'm going to walk into this house with the Rottweiler that barely knows me. His mother, who was literally over 100 years old, lived on the bottom floor. I hadn't met her. I just knew she was there. I hear the dog barking. I sneak in, very scared, and thinking, why am I doing this? I go in. This is like something out of a movie. As I'm sneaking in, she must have heard me. And from downstairs, she peeks around the corner and sees this big, ugly guy sneaking in. I go to her, shh, with my finger like this. And she just eases back behind the wall. (laughs) And I start tiptoeing up the stairs. And all of a sudden, the barking stops, and I hear this dog plowing down the stairs. And I'm like, holy shit. And he's coming for me. And I said, Chase, it's me. It's me. Hey, it's all good. And right before he got, he caught, and he was okay. Thank God. But where I'm going with this, out of nowhere, they're doing fantastic with this dog. And out of nowhere, this dog goes after another dog to attack it and knocks the owner down, the gentleman. Took him for a walk. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This dog's coming to group class with all aggressive dogs. He does not. Like, I've never seen this, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Okay, let's come check it out. I don't see any of this. To make a long story even a little shorter, I get a call a month later. I need to talk to you. The owner took the dog for a walk. He went after a dog, knocked him over bad. The owner split his skull. I'll show you the picture later. Split his skull open. They don't know if he's going to make it. Broke his neck as a skull fracture. <sighs> Laying there unconscious, bleeding all over the road. So they take the dog. They immediately put it down with the owner in the hospital fighting for his life. Now I'm devastated. I actually wrote a big, long article about it. On I begged these people to give me the dog. Let me find it the right home. He was just too much dog for them. Begged people. I went and I wrote about how dangerous it is to have too much dog. A few weeks later, I get another call. I need to talk to you. Okay, what is it? I need you to come here. I'm thinking he died, right? What had happened was I go down there, and the wife tells me the husband had been an alcoholic for 30-something years, clean and sober, started drinking again. But where he would drink was he would take the dog for a walk to get out and kill a bottle of liquor while he was on the walk. He got so drunk on the walk dog did nothing he passed out and fell down so he survived and when he came to and they told him what happened he was devastated they put his dog down he used the dog as an excuse but nothing ever happened the dog never did anything stayed by his side yeah you know these are the things people don't see on the internet they think it's all fun and glory and we just charge a bunch of money to train a dog they don't see how much goes into the personal side of things how much the human's life affects what we do with the dog, how their dog behaves with them, right? I could tell stories like this all day long. been doing this a really long time. All day long I could tell you stories like that. That was devastating for me. Devastating for me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, especially when you care so much. It's a lot. You know, you have so much empathy for for animals. I, I like. I, I'm still thinking about the the fawn I saw on the side of the road this morning. I'm like, man, that sucks. Yeah, you know, I hate yeah, it. I'm like, I I, oh, I told you yeah. yesterday. We we're talking about the horse racing because mm-hmm. like, we live in Saratoga. So yeah. the tracks. I'm like, I just the horses die and I can't do it. Yeah, it sucks. I just have a hard time like being around it mm-hmm. and and you know, maybe even supporting it by going in there. I don't know. So we, it, my staff, I feel really bad for because they are young. I'm the oldest person in my company, by the way. Mm -hmm. So they, they're obviously younger, but they haven't seen and dealt with that as much. And so it's harder for them. Sure. When we have board and trains, same thing. A lot of, I think the, Biggest problem that we see with dogs going south, meaning them not doing well, is uh, an unmatched situation. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you just said is it's just too much intensity. Because if that guy had maybe a, a smaller dog who couldn't could care less, sure. the guy would have fell over and the dog might have just been standing next to him until somebody came maybe. Mm-hmm. But that Rottweiler's like, I'm gonna go find something. To no, do. he didn't. He did stay with him. He did. Yeah, yeah. He so did. he never even. Never did anything wrong, the dog. Jesus. The that's first time worse. he pulled him down, that's what he said. He didn't want to say, I got drunk. I see, down. yeah. So now they just assume this dog pulled him down again. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. Because that's what happens to my, my, my staff is they'll get an email saying that the owners put the dog down and we're, they're, they, you know, they have a hard time with it. You know, they get mm-hmm. very emotional and I just, I feel bad for them because I'm like, it sucks for me to hear too. And I've had those situations too, where we've saved dogs life and pulled them from situations that they just shouldn't have been in. And we kind of are the middleman, if you will. And we're like, right. we'll just rehome this dog for you. And you know, it's, it's tough. But like you said, people don't see that, especially if you really care about the dogs and the animals, it's really, you lose sleep over it. And that's, I, that's why I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard because yeah. that's the bad side that you, you, Unfortunately, I remember this one time we had this, this yeah, it's a very similar situation where this dog was just too much. And they, um, long ass story short, they were the wrong people for the wrong dog. And he was actually like a, like a golden retriever. And he just was a little edgy and a little reactive. And same thing. I said, this dog shouldn't be here. And they were just breeders that thought that their dogs could never be that type of dog. And so their ego and their, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Maybe their ego and just in general, they couldn't admit that, yeah, this is a poorly genetical. Too, too much is the biggest problem in dog training. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest issues we see with behavioral problems? Too much freedom, too early. Yeah. And too much dog in the wrong home. Yeah, exactly. Those two things, it, it's it's probably the most common thing that keep us busy, right? Yeah. And it's uh both of them will create a lot of problems. A lot of problems. Yeah. You know? It's and it's it is devastating cuz when you plug into a dog, any other professional plugs into a dog, you know you get a really good opportunity to get to know that dog more than the owner likely. Absolutely. On a different level. Sure. And and you do it fairly quickly and you just become buddies. You're like, mm-hmm. "Man, I, I love this dog. This is great." Sure. Because you're that's your job. Yeah. Like other people, they go and they're a mechanic or they're a nurse, and then they come home to their dog, and you and I get to actually just get to know dogs for a living. That's what we do. Well, you're dealing with an, an emotional, breathing, you know, 
thinking creature. Yeah. It's easy to get attached to him. Yep. It's easy to feel bad for him, right? It's easy to think about you're like this yeah. dog's only hope. Yeah, so we, so that situation was really bad. They Again, like I just said, this is too much. This is bad. Um, and they ended up rehoming the dog to an elderly lady. And then the dog, I think, g- growled at her, did something, and I put the dog down. And just, you know, a similar situation that I just, we were all like, what the? Anyway, um, but yeah, I was an animal control officer for a little bit, and I'm very happy that I don't, I never did that for a long period Ooh, of time. Yeah, I can't imagine doing you that. You just see all the bad stuff. Yeah. Like, you you literally are, hey, there's a dead dog on this road, you got to go pick it up. And then, hey, um, this dog just ripped apart this other dog, yeah. you got to go do a, take pictures, and yeah. it's the worst. I mean, I'm really happy for the people who do it, but for me, I was like. It's, uh, it's not for me. No, it's thank you. job. Really rough. So, you know, you talk about, I think the, we talked a little bit about the industry and how do you feel being, you have a book on e-collar training. And, and again, like w- my friend Will and I were talking about, because he lives in the UK, he lives in the UK and yeah. they're banning remote collars. And same thing with him. He's a bigger, he's a big figure, you know, and, and people are like hunting him down, but like, you got to say something. He's like, well, what can I say? I've already put out mm-hmm. videos with millions of views of t- telling people this is what it is. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. What do you, you've been in the business a decade or more more than me. So where do you think, where do you think things are going to go as they ban these types of tools? Like, this is something I've been talking about long before they were talking about banning them, right? You can say all you want on either side. You could sign petitions, and this is, you know, it was probably not the nicest thing for me to say, but I, I was a little fired up when this whole thing happened. I said, now, now you want to do something, right? I'm a very big believer in in taking the offensive, not the defensive, you know? The, oh, wait. The way I grew up, um, my my job, I'm a very aggressive person, right? And that means if you're going to try to harm me in any way, and I was a firearms instructor for a long time, and I used to tell people this all the time. If you're going to wait to react, you're going to lose, mm. right? If you think that you're about to be harmed, you better take the offensive. When we used to go through a door and go on a, on a, on a warrant or something, I used to tell people, if I hear you say drop the gun, we're going to have a problem. Because that's someone being scared to be proactive, that's someone waiting to react. It's too late. With the e-collar stuff, I was preaching this shit for years. For years. We have to do better. We have to police our own. And we have to show more work. We have to. Mm-hmm. For years. And I was an asshole. I was a big mouth. I was arrogant. I was a know-it-all. This was very obvious to me that we were going there. Because the same way when I was putting out the negative stuff, I saw what people who were getting bigger were doing with the tool. That made us all look really bad. So it's very obvious that there's a, the, the numbers belong to the force-free community, right? Those are where the real numbers are. You take the average dog owner, they know nothing about dog training, okay? I used to tell people that, um, you know, Ivan Balabanov could be pushing Bart Ballone in a cart with Michael Ellis running behind them, and no one would know who they are. Mm-hmm. Three of the greatest dog trainers to ever do it, right? 
People in the dog world know who they are. The everyday dog owner can care less or don't know who they are, would never recognize them. Those are the people that side with the force-free community because that's where the money is, that's where the numbers are. And so when someone says, look what this guy did with this tool, this shot collar, look at this dog, should we ban them? Those people don't need to know anything else, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Those people aren't showing my videos. They're not. That's why I've never had issues with force-free people. Mm -hmm. I just don't give them a reason to. So I've begged the dog training world for a really long time. Two things. Start showing more work, especially with that tool, and learn more from the working side of things, the great dog sport people. Pet dog people have to learn from the greatest sport dog people, and we have to show more work especially with the e-collar. And I've been saying that. You can go back and watch my shit for 12, 13 years ago. I was saying that. No one believed me, right? Now, maybe we never will lose the tool, but there's always going to be on the table, and they're always going to be trying to take it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, when you could breed, when you could ban a whole breed of dog in a whole state, and they could take your dog just from driving through that state, think about how insane that is. It's, it's pure insanity. That's our own fault. The balanced dog training community, we're our worst enemies. We eat our own children, right? We market to each other, and we bash each other. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely insanity to me. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. That's why it's like, it's hard for me to, like, I don't have a lot of friends in the industry. I, mainly because, A, I've been burnt, like, too many times, mm -hmm. especially when I was getting really popular, um, and I was naive, and people would want certain things. Or, and they would get it. Mm -hmm. um, I've lost lots of money, you know, to people. Just and and I'm a yes man, mm. not anymore. Um, and it sucks because that's I think that that sucks for other people. Like they can't get close to me anymore because mm -hmm. I just I don't because of my bad experiences. And I don't like that because I am a people person. I would think when you picked me up yesterday, and this whole trip that you had to have in back of your mind who I really was. Mm hmm. Are you going to get burnt with me? Am I going to say something or do something? Because you don't know me. Right. Right? You don't. Like, you know me online, right? But if I was going to do that, I wouldn't be here. Exactly. And so no dog trainer, I don't care who you are, you're always going to do things differently. Mm -hmm. I care about one person when it comes to dog trainers handling dogs. Are you a decent person? Are you screwing people? Are you hurting dogs? If you're not, do your best. You're going to keep learning. Just like me, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to keep learning. Mm -hmm. But there's people out there. I have friends that in the dog world that I like very much that aren't good dog trainers. I don't refer people to them. I like them very much as people. Yeah. And they're not bad people when it comes to dogs. They're just not as good as they think they are because they refuse to keep learning. Yeah. They've gotten to a point where they think they know everything and they still have so much to learn. But I will take someone that I don't like as, as a part, like I just don't drive with, you know, or maybe they've come at me for one thing or another. But if I think they're a good dog trainer and can provide help, I will refer people to them. And I've been contacted by a couple of them like, is this a mistake? You hate my guts, you know? I'm like, no, I don't like you, but I think you do good work. So just don't screw me, do good work. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's all I care about, mm -hmm. really. You know, because there's no gain. I don't gain anything financially from right. bashing someone or for saying someone is, is good. 
the things that I use, I endorse. I don't have right. contracts with people or anything. People do send me nice things. Hey, I love these balls. You know, then I get a box of balls. I'm happy with that. That's it. You know, you don't have to pay me to mention if I like your product, I'll show people and I'll tell people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I probably don't want to be an affiliate or nothing because then that means I have to like do things. <laughs> Instead, just I'm too lazy to do that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I make a video for you, it's because I wanted to. Yeah. It's like I'll go a month or two without putting something on YouTube because I have nothing to say. Exactly. Yeah. And then someone who follows that stuff, hey, you know, your algorithm. Well, I don't know what an algorithm is. <laughs> But you have to post. I don't have anything to say. Right. I, when I do, I'll post it, you know, and, and I'm never going to be great at that stuff, you know. I don't think you have to be. Like, you don't, like, you have what, that's why it's, again, it's kind of like a, it's catch-22 for you. Uh, what you were saying earlier, mm. where you were like, you kind of have this flip in your mind. You're like, well, it's nice because I can just take the month off. Yeah. But then you're like, but it would be nice. Sure, hundred yeah. percent. So it's like you always this, want what you don't have. Always, you know, always. always. And then what you get, and then when you get what you want, mm -hmm. you don't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. That sounds like a quote off a of like a movie or something. Yeah, no, it's true. But I, I was, I was, so th th that's like a hard thing I've been struggling with. Not, I, I used to struggle with it bad. Somebody, I did a consult. A lot of, my, not a lot, but there's a good portion of my online consulting that are other dog trainers and one of the questions they ask me is how do you deal with that how do you deal with the hate how do you deal with the 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 cannibalism of the dog training world and I just say I just in the beginning I had a really hard time with it because again same thing that you said earlier about changing somebody's life with something and then somebody saying you suck and you're like what how is did you but this lady would have, this dog, do you understand this dog would die if sure. I didn't do what I just did or whatever? Sure. And so when I first started putting out content, that was when I found out about the politics of dog training. I didn't understand it. Like, um, again, my dog almost got hit by um, um, a, a, a train with me and we almost died. And I've told the story a million times, so I'm not going to get into it. But And then I got into e-collar training. I'm like, I don't want to die and I don't want my dog to die. So this is what I'm doing. And then I started telling people, I'm like, oh, well, your dog's not coming back because of the accountability and the relationship. And, you know, what happens if your dog just flips you off in the first place? And then I said, the e-collar is great. And then it's just a weird thing because the e-collar, going back to the ban and, and the trainers that were maybe making it fair for them to ban. Because that's, cause that's one thing I say in my head. I have this battle. I'm like, well, maybe it should be banned. Yeah. Because there's more people maybe right. doing it wrong than right. And I'm very proud of, uh, and I don't know if it's true to this day, but I have the most views on e-collar introduction because I hit it so hard mm -hmm. in the beginning. And, and I'm proud of that mainly because I've done my part by saying this is how you should do it. Right. And I've learned, you know, just the same thing that you said. I've learned to do things differently and better and more efficient and stuff like that. But I just don't see – I know like when they tried to ban it in San Francisco, the petition actually, I believe, stopped the ban or at least stopped the progression. Mm. And when they tried to ban it in New York, it, it didn't even go yeah. past anything. And when I used to work for Governor Cuomo, uh, he, I trained his dog on the e-collar. And I was always thinking – and I'm not political – I could, I mean, just be a good person. If you're a shitty person, I don't like you. I don't care if you're red, white, blue, or orange. I don't care. So I, so when I was working with him, I was kind of, you know, excited and proud that there's no lobbyist that can come in and ban this in New York because the person who is going to make those right, laws right. 
enjoys this thing. And, and I was showing him at the, the executive mansion in Albany in the capital has this huge yard in the back. And this is really cool because this is where a lot of really cool old politicians sure. used to come and live. It was really cool. So we were out there and I was like, this is the, I had the 280C Dogtra and I was using the remote collar and he thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. And then obviously, you know, he did what he did or whatever and moved on. And, but it was like, disheartened to know that when it came to new york i was like oh man but then it got wiped off the table but there's places in australia where it's banned yeah i've been there i so, did seminars in places where i was i've done seminars in places where prong collars banned i've done online consultations where crates are banned think about that one yeah switzerland crates are banned i believe it was switzerland so what do you what do you think is going to happen i mean do you think it's it's, it's going to be a constant battle right until we could just bombard every day. Think about this. Think about if you took the everyday dog owner and the only thing you provided with the e-collar was they could let their dog run around off-leash and it would come back to them whenever they called it. That right there would be more than most people will ever achieve with their own dog. Mm -hmm. It would change their lives. Right then, the massive numbers on that side would be like, "Holy crap, we've been missing out." Kind of like I did younger, thinking what I saw in the woods was what the e-collar was all about. So the truth is, the most people that hate the tool, they don't understand it. I did a, a radio interview several years ago, and uh, there were a lot of questions from the anti-e-collar people, force-free community. And I think there were. Don't quote me exactly. I don't know where the interview is, but I think there were 25 questions or statements, mm. facts about e-collar training. And everyone was against it. If you do this, your dog will do this. If you do this, all 25. And when the person doing the interview would hit me with that, they say, well, what do you have to say about what they're saying? And I said, they're 100% right. And they're like, well, what do you mean they're right? They are right. If you do that, you train the dog that way, Absolutely, that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm, if, I want, if I'm not mistaken, I think out of the 25 statements that the force-free community claimed, I think only one wasn't factual, and that was that you could burn holes in your dog's neck. I said, no, that one's completely, that's false, 100%. Everyone else, they were correct. Right. If you were doing what they think people are doing. And unfortunately, a lot of people are doing what they think they were doing. You understand what I'm saying? Do, yeah. So they were so shocked that I agreed with everything they said. But I said, yeah, that's not how I use it. That's not how a lot of people use it. That's not what you're 100%. This would be awful training. It's like comparing it to all the old science experiments that this is what happened with the dog when electrology. Yeah. Yes, but that's not how dog trainers use them. Yeah. Of course the dog did that. <laughs> you set the dog up to fail. You set the, the tool up to fail. Yeah. You have to use common sense here, right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's there's, simple. There's, and like I said, I, I used to get really into it. I used to like really, because I, I, was, so sin I was so sincere about, let me just show you something. Because there's, in my head, mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no way you can look about what I'm about to do and disagree with me. But, but there was a point where, now I don't do that anymore. I just yeah. let my, put my content yeah. out and, mm -hmm. you know, great. If you like it, if it helps. See, this is the thing. is like, if you like it and it helps, use it. If it doesn't, move on. Mm -hmm. Go to something else. It's I did that, that for years, Tom. I tried to, listen, the, the, the seminar, the, the gun show 
yeah, yeah, thing yeah. that I told you. Yeah. From that seminar, there was a lady who came up, and she was loving on my dog. She said, oh, he's amazing. She goes, but I totally disagree with what you're doing. I said, what am I doing? And she pointed out the e-collar, right? And I said, what do you think I'm doing to him? She said, you're shocking your dog. I said, no, I'm, I'm not. I took it off of him, and I just I said, I would never do that to him. And, she, and we had a long discussion. I said, I tell you what. She had a St. Bernard. I said, let me come out to your house. Right? And she just fought me on I said, no, I'm serious. I'm not going to try to sell you on anything. I don't even want you as a client. But this bothers me that you think that's what I'm doing. And yeah. so she agreed. Now think about this. She lived over an hour away from me. I spent three hours driving to her house and home, three hours of driving time. Spent well over an hour, if not more than two hours, with her. Right? Totally got her to see that what I do and wasn't harming her dog. She, like, was blown away. But I was never going to change her mind right. about ever. And I was okay with that. But it bothered me so much that she thought I was doing something I wasn't that I wasted a whole day mm-hmm. that I could have been home with my wife doing cool things with no clothes on. Yeah. To prove to this lady yeah. that you're wrong. Yeah. So now my favorite thing is when someone comes to me, they want dog training, but they don't want to use an e-collar. Awesome. Now I don't have to take the time to train you. Yep. That makes training so much easier for me. Like, please. Yeah. And I and the same thing what you said about people will bring up the – I think science is cool. I think science is important. Uh, but there's also, again, a very, there could be a very biased agenda on that. And it's also, again, like you said, it's so funny when people will say, well, look at the science, because I'm going to go with what science does. And I'm like, okay, science has never been wrong, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and, or, it's also important to understand that the science of what people are saying, again, is not wrong. It's like, if you correct a, a dog with a shitty e-collar, without any conception of what it means and what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do at a really corrective level, without any concept of pressure, and it's going to suck. It's going to suck for the dog. And if you put on an e-collar or a prong collar on a dog and you tell them to do something that they don't know with an incompetent trainer that has never used the equipment, because sure. that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing that drives me crazy about. I said, let me do that study, and I guarantee you, or you, or anybody at Michael Ellis or Forrest Mickey or any other great dog trainer that has been proven over the years, over decades, mm-hmm. to do things right, you will get a different result. So you, sure. you can't have a result of something if it's not being done properly. And that's something that I think up here in my head has, has relinquished all that pressure. Much better like, off it when you doesn't, that place, yeah. It's not real. Because mm-hmm. the piece of paper basically says, Larry, if you put a... Amazon e-collar on a dog and you tell them to do something that they've never really heard before in an environment they've never been in with a handler they've never seen before and they don't do it and you nail them and they jump up we're all going to test their 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 blood and we're going to test their we're going to swab their mouth and we're going to say when you correct a dog with an e-collar dogs hate it and it's stressful everyone in the world would say of course, mm-hmm. but that's not what anybody who actually sure. does e-collar training would do. And if they do, again, it's it's. I could take this phone and chuck it at your head, and it would hurt, and it would suck. But I was I'm not about do I that. was about eight or nine years old the first time I realized not everything you read about science is factual. I used to be a real snake fanatic, right? I still love snakes. I spent a lot of time catching snakes throughout my life. And the snakes that are most common where I grew up down in Jersey in the New York area were the DK brown snake, just a, a, a common DK snake, right? 
and we would catch hundreds of them all summer long. And I used to spend a lot of time in the library in the encyclopedia and reading every snake book I could find. And I'll never forget this one little hardcover blue book that had all the different types of snakes in there. And it's one of the only times I found anything on the DK snake that I was commonly finding. And I'll never forget one line they said, speaking how it is harmless, and it is harmless, but how no matter how it is provoked, you will never get this dog to strike at a person. Snake. Uh, yeah. And I read that, and I was like, this is bullshit. I catch some of these snakes that try to bite me every single day. Yeah. They change their color. They flatten out. They go back, and they bite. Do they hurt you? No. But, yes, I can get almost any one of these snakes to try to bite me. And here it is in a very popular snake book saying, by no means this snake will never try to bite you. Mm -hmm. That was a lie. And that, like, rocked my world, and it's something I never forgot. Like, you're literally talking, like, over 40 years ago I read that. Yeah. Right? So um, science isn't math. It changes constantly. It's not exact, you know. And depending on who funds that science and how that science is conducted – and it's always evolving and changing and getting better. That's why that e-collar you have there, compared to the ones I saw up in the pheasant hunting woods of New Jersey 40 years ago, very different. 100%. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I've kind of like said publicly and, and flirted with the idea as well to maybe put some sort of regulation on the collars, where to get them, how to get them. How do you feel? Like, where do you think that the middle line is? You know, I don't even think about it a lot because I just, I don't know what the right answer is, you know? Mm -hmm. I do have a problem with Joe Schmo walking into PetSmart and buying an e-collar. Right. I really do, you know? It, it's just, uh, like, I've never met a person, a regular person, that's purchased an e-collar and use it that did well with it. Never. Right. Not once. And I've met hundreds of them, if not thousands of them. I've never met anyone who had anything good come out of that. Right. You know, it's just, listen, I had a client, German short hair pointer, young dog. We started the training. They were going to take this dog everywhere with them, right? Cool dog. Once we got to the e-collar training, dog did very well, very well, like did great with everything, right? One day they call me and say, like something's going on. They put the e-collar on the dog and it's shaking and hiding in the corner. I go, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, she's doing phenomenal. Like, yeah, we know. We don't know. I said, what happened? Something had to happen. Yep. No, nothing happened. I'm like, guys, think of anything because that's not normal behavior from her. You've seen what she's been doing. No, nothing happened. It's okay. So I'll be right there. I literally went. They only live like a mile from my house. I go inside and we're talking. I go, go get the e-collar. And they go and get it, and the dog runs and hides. And I'm like, son of a bitch, man. Like, that's not. I said, give me the dog. I put the e-collar on, and I took it out. I said, watch through the window. Stay here. And she was. I started working her. I went back like it was day one. And within five minutes, she went back to normal. And I'm sitting on the ground, and I'm playing with her, and she wasn't scared anymore. So we went on with the whole lesson. We had a whole lesson, did all kinds of stuff. And at the end of it, we're just standing there talking. Me, the husband, the wife, and the teenage uh, son and we're talking we're just bullshitting and out of nowhere the husband goes he's like yeah the other day like I hit that vibrate button yep. by accident and she like yep. jumped out of her skin and I just looked at him and he goes what I go what did you just say mm -hmm. and he goes yeah I hit that vibrate button and the wife goes you fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> he goes why I was like you said nothing happened yeah 
He said, well, nothing did happen. I just hit the vibrate. I said, that is something happened, right? That's something completely different that she's never experienced. So it scared the shit out of her. Did it hurt her physically? No. It had no physical pain involved with it, but mentally, it just came out of nowhere. She never experienced it, and it scared the crap out of her. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh. I'm like, so when I say, did anything happen, yep. don't leave anything out, because everything matters when we're dealing with this animal. They're very sensitive, you know? I've had that happen so many times, Larry. Sure. It is so frustrating, because, and it's not even, because I have a course you know, it's a couple hundred bucks. We filmed for 12, 13 hours that I condensed down to two hours. And I'm like, and I trained a dog from start to finish. Really nice, genetically sound German Shepherd, super responsive, beautiful, great. I also put out a lot of free stuff, and, and as do you. And there's so much content out there that you can find. Sure. And I'm like, how did you make that? Because the first thing, I got a DM last night, because I do have a social media phone apart from this, mm. where I can go and post my own... Smart. Yeah, I can post my own things. It stays at home and only operates on Wi-Fi because it's just, you know, I, I need to focus on, on everything else. Right. So anyway, I checked the, this DM, and I have somebody else that also mainly handles that account, and they and I saw this message that says, what cheap e-collar should I buy? And I said, don't at all. They said, well, what collar do you suggest? And I'm like, I'm kicking myself. I'm like, how is this person... And this is ego. How is this person on my page asking me what e-collar I use? And again, this is ego talking in my head. Can I battle ego? Because I think as a dog trainer, an ego is really easy to get because everyone is around you telling you how great you are. Mm-hmm. And if you do it on a big scale, you get thousands of people every day telling you how good you are, right? Yeah. And so I've been really, and I'll, I'll be the first to say it, I, I've, 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 I've spent a lot of time on my mental health making sure I I keep myself in balance because I don't want to be that person that ends up thinking that I'm the best and and I'm this, that, and I know I'm not, and I make mistakes every day and I want to get better. But anyway, my ego in my head, I'm like, how do you not know that I have my own e-collar with dog chair? And I, and I, and, but it is very fresh. And and, and again, I'm telling you that that's what happens. But then I, I also understand, Hey, this person may have been suggested on my page because that's the way Instagram works and they just DM me and, and, and but there's two sides that's what ego is mm-hmm. you have to it's going to step up and it's going to say this guy doesn't know who I am this is bullshit and then there's real Tom that says chill that's okay no, move I, along I, I get it's easy it's easy to do easy. you know or when someone says I'm having these problems I do it exactly like you do and then they send me a video I say, that's <laughs> nothing the way I do it's offensive I almost was going to repeat something now but I'm not going to do it on, on camera because I'd be too embarrassed but someone told me something the other day. They said, so and so. I'm not I'll tell you off camera, but I repeated this to my wife and she left. She's like, Wow, I can't imagine why your ego is so gigantic. I was like, What do you mean? She's like, Seriously? I'm like, I don't have a big ego. She's like, Seriously. And it was something that someone said to me, like someone I was working with that I thought was kind of comical but made me a little embarrassed. And when I told my wife, boy, she shot me down quick. It's like, I remember when I hit like a, a million views or something on YouTube, right? I was all excited. I was like, oh my God, look at this. I just hit a million views or 100,000 subscribers, wherever once. That's what it was, 100,000 subscribers, man. I thought I was the shit. I was all excited. I told my wife, she's like, cool, call one of them, see if they'll take the garbage out. <laughs> It's like, wow, way to piss on my parade here, you know? It's great. Totally knocked me down back to uh, you need back it. to normal. Yeah. You, you do, do need it because it's, it's, 
it's it's really uh, a thing, and, and I I'm very open about it. I think mental health with men isn't talked about enough, and I think in the dog training space in particular, there's everyone's again they're just like, look at me, I'm doing this. Sure. But I, I'm be the first to say I have imposter syndrome every day when I get up and people pay me thousands of dollars to go to these different places. I'm like, shit. Hope hopefully I do good. Even yesterday, there was a dog in my out of state program that I did the same thing you talked about. Mm-hmm. Where at night, I'm like, I'm they're not getting their money's worth. How am I, and I'm losing, you know, so if I lose sleep, I told you about this earlier. Uh, if I lose sleep, then I'm, you know, kind of shitty the next day. And then, you know, my son doesn't benefit. My wife doesn't benefit. My clients, right. my, my, my colleagues, uh, whatever. So I, it's just something that I constantly have to keep into check because it's really easy yeah. to, to be, to be in any industry, again, in any industry, if to have thousands of people every day just telling you, man, this is the best, this is great, and you, for you not, that's what I was going to say earlier, is uh, I used to read all my comments, specifically on YouTube and other, because pla- that's the only thing I really, really care about. Mm-hmm. I think YouTube is, uh, especially long-form content, I mean, shorts right now, you can post a dog or something very crazy and outlandish, and then boom, you know, it takes you, back in the day, it wasn't like that. It was, yeah. you had to really... Um, work really hard on long-form content because that's the thing that I really care about. But one thing that Gary Vaynerchuk said, I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. him, he said, you got to be careful how much good stuff you read about you because then if you care so much about what other people say good about you, then you're going to care about what people say negatively about you. Oh, man, that's so true. And it's hard. It's hard not to because you're so people like this is the best. And it, and and it's not. And I, and I and again, I the way that I say this, it's you and it's other people. It's just really easy to get into that, you know. And then when one person says something it's like you you anyway what was i saying about pushing my egos oh yeah the e-collar thing but anyway so so there is um there is a big piece of that too um just making sure that you keep that in check but it kind of off subject do you ever do a seminar and you're kind of just there and I get, I get, it's kind of cool. Like, I think the seminar for me is like a performance, like a, like, again, like an artist going out and, and doing their thing because people paid to come and see you and they appreciate you and they like you. But do you ever just look into the crowd and be like, that person hates me? And then on lunch, they come and give you a hug and say how much every you single <laughs> one. Okay. Every, uh, listen, I, I take it even to the next level. I, you know, I do seminars by myself and then I do them with, with Jay and Joel where we do them on this, on this big level. We've been in whole cities before. Where at lunchtime we're like, these people fucking hate us. Mm-hmm. Like this, like we're not doing well here, you know. And then by the end of the day, like people come up to us with this very long face, like this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what just happened, you know? So it's really hard to to read that, you know? Yeah. It's so, because then that imposter syndrome kicks in. Well, it's funny because you'll pick someone sitting in there and go, wow, this person's mm-hmm. hating this. Yeah, they want their money back. Yeah. Immediately. All the time. Every right. every single one. And it's it, – so that happens to me often. I get my own head. And it's mm-hmm. I, I, I snap – I got to co- concentrate on what I do. I'm like, man, you got to snap out of it. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing when that happens, when you get – into a group of people and you're, you're just self-conscious and it's like in the back of your head. But the other thing I will say too is, and I don't know what you have done with seminar pricing and things like that, but I put my prices relatively really high compared to others Mm -hmm. for that reason, as I know that the people are there are never going to be there for the wrong reasons. Cause I've talked to other dog trainers that ask me about hecklers and seminars. I said, I've never gotten one because if you have to pay that amount of money 
to be in front of me. Yeah. You're not going to. Yeah. Do you guys get, the, when you do a uh, seminar, and it's because I, cause I remember I did a seminar with um, Forrest Mickey, which is, um, he's kind of Michael Ellis's right-hand man. And I, I shouldn't say that. He works, w- works with and alongside Michael, and he has for years. And so I kind of got into Michael and then got into Forrest. Anyway, and we did a seminar. He's like, man, nobody's going to pay those prices. Nobody. Nobody's Tommy's like, I don't feel comfortable. And I go, and I, and I was trying to figure out, I'm like, why do you not feel comfortable? You're like somebody I've looked up to for a long time. And I'm putting in a seminar with you as like this, it's amazing. Like I grew up watching this guy, you know, and, and I respect so much and we talk all the time and he's like, we can't, we can't chart, you know, it was, I think it was like $2,000 per working ticket. And I'm like, well, Forrest, you got to think about it. If you want to charge a thousand dollars for two and a half days to work with you, and then I'm also going to be there, and we're going to go double teamed on this stuff, I go. It's just what we have to do. I'm like, it's not. So and and so so anyway, sold it out, boom. And he was like, that's the most money I've ever made in a seminar. And he was so like, and I get it. But have you ever like gone to places, and people have paid? Because I had a conversation with somebody from Australia, and they said, because Forrest and I are working on Australia um, dates, and he said. We will do all of the ticketing because we know the people that are going to yeah. show up to give you a hard time. And that, to me, I was like, what? Yeah, it's something I have a problem with, um, and I do I do need to get better about that and up the prices for that reason. I was doing a seminar, I forget, somewhere, and someone came up to me, and, and you know, they were, we were talking, and they were real happy, everything. They said, you know, it was a long, I traveled a long way, and they told me where they traveled from, and I said, I'm doing a seminar next month, like in Florida. Why would you leave Florida? It's like, I can't afford that. I said, well, how much is the ticket in Florida? I didn't know because I don't handle that stuff. Mm. And it was $1,000 a person working spot. And I almost threw up. It, it fizz- I had a, like a really bad reaction to it. Yeah. Like it really bothered me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I said, I had no idea. Like it really, I had such a hard time with it, you know? Why was the ticket different, the price? I don't deal with any of that, right? Um I keep things pretty affordable for people and it could bite you in the ass, just like you're saying. And so I just let the people of the facilities handle it. I, I tell them what my fee is and then the way I work out everything else we're going to split. And when I called them, I was like, guys, I can't do that. I can't charge that much. Like that makes me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had a come to Jesus meeting with me, like gave me a list of trainers this is what they're training this is what they're set. and it was all much higher than what i was charging and i was like i just i just can't and they convinced me to do it i went along with it there was a lot of people i made a lot of money but it i really did have a hard time with it mm-hmm. right but it kind of screws them too because then if they put in so much work to this and it was at a really big place and everything and then i go back and let someone charge you know, four fifty or five fifty for a working spot. Then, when they try to do another seminar, they're not going to be able to. Do, well, we'll just drive to go to this one. Yeah. So I hurt. You know, I, those are things I never thought of before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and there's just so much. Seminars are hard. Yeah, they are. They are hard. The first three seminars I did were awful. They were so bad. It put me in such a depression. Nashville was the first one. Um, Poughkeepsie, New York, was the second one. And West Virginia was the third one. They were all so terrible. Why? Because back then, everyone thought I had some kind of magic e-collar formula. And that's all people wanted. Mm. So it was all based around the e-collar, right? 
And there's only so much you could do on that. And then I was trying, the whole seminar was based off of that when there was so much more that was needed. Mm -hmm. So much more that was needed, right? Even people that didn't think they needed something needed something. So after the third one, I said, I'll never do that again. From now on, there's no curriculum. From now on, I come in, whoever has a working spot, I work on whatever they need. Yeah. Whatever they want, I work for them. I'm the employee, whatever they need. They may think they need one thing, but if I see something else, we're going to give them everything they need. Everything started changing at that moment. I enjoyed them a lot more. We got much better results. I had a much better time doing them, and so I've been doing them quite a while. But those first three I learned a ton mm -hmm. about, you know. Do you like seminaring? Once I'm there doing it, I do. When I do them solo, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Like, people don't realize how much work it is. Insane. I mean, there's times I don't get to pee. Yeah. Like, no bullshit. You're trying. I've gotten better. The first seminar I ever went to is when Bart Ballone came back to the States and did his first seminar out in Virginia. And I'll never forget, I drove 14 hours each way to go work with him. I remember him saying at break time, at lunchtime, during breaks, please nobody talk to me. Right? And I'm thinking, man, that's a really shitty thing to do. People came from all over to see you. I understand it now. Yeah. I told him that also because yeah. what I tell people now is if you have a dog question, do not ask me during break or lunch because if you ask me that, someone else probably needs to hear the answer too. And the other thing is you literally don't make it to the bathroom. Hey, quick question. And you're trying to go pee. <laughs> yeah. And then another person, hey, quick. And, and, and I'm not bullshitting you. And you may have experienced this. There's been seminars where I go the whole weekend and never make it to the bathroom to pee. Not at lunchtime, not at all. I don't eat during lunch many times because we just talk. So when me, Jay, and Joel do them now, we're very clear. Uh, if I, I tried to remember, no dog talk during breaks. Save your questions for when we're all working together, right? Mm -hmm. And then for dinner, I love the social aspect of the seminars. I love going out with everyone at the end of the day and going. I enjoy that when I do them solo. When I do them with Jay and Joel, we train like we come back after dinner and we train late into the night. So you, it's, you when you go out to dinner, you're talking about with the other presenters. No, no, no. Like when I do solo seminars just myself uh -huh. i love going out with all the people that attend oh wow i love that interaction i love it then i don't mind talking talk, talking dogs we have a good time cool when i do them with jay and joel like we we train late into the night we come back from dinner there's been nights where one in the morning we're still training dogs mm -hmm. and so we the three of us we make it a point that we go for dinner by ourselves every night we don't have yep. anyone because you can't have one or two people come and if we have 150 people there there's no place you can go to eat with 150 people right not even 50 people right so that's our downtime to just unwind and hang out together and it's it's a lot people don't understand how much it is and i've always been very self-conscious about that because the first three were so bad it, i'll never forget that that kept me humble right and then when i go to see someone else's seminar i'm like Okay, I'm actually pretty good at this. <laughs> like, it's important. Mm -hmm. But it's important to go to other seminars because you're going to learn things that you like and how they run things or what they do. But you're also going to see, ooh, that was awful. Or this person wasn't very nice to people, mm -hmm. you know. And there was just things that you could do better. So I think it's very valuable to continue to go. But when you get busy and everybody wants you, 
it's hard to find your own time to go and yep. sit at a seminar. I'd love to go to a seminar right now. I just signed up for my first seminar in years, going down to Mississippi to a Lars Lenz tracking seminar, and I can't wait. I can't wait just to sit there and be a student. Like, yeah. I can't wait. That's in February. I'm going to get in my truck. I have an 11-hour drive. It's going to be me and my dog, and I am going to be in pure bliss just being a student, soaking it all up. I won't talk. I won't say anything. I won't interrupt. I won't socialize while he's teaching. I will fall on every single word that comes out of his mouth, and I'll watch every move he does, and I will take something very valuable, not only for tracking, but to implement in the rest of my dog world. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. That's important. That's important. I I personally, not that you asked, but I want to tell you how I feel about seminaring. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think it's the most magical. That's where really my dogmanship comes to life um i just there's something so again i want to say magical it's 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 an unbelievable feeling when i do seminars it's the most rewarding feeling when you get standing ovations and applause and people just like gasping because they're like it's like a roller coaster of dogs because when you show up you don't know it for me i'm i'm a very like on the fly type of person when i train so i don't know anything about the dogs right right some people do but i don't and when i show up it's just this let's go to work and it's this people are watching me meet this dog for the very first time and within the 48 hours you know my goal and objective is to not only learn something from the dog but also get them to a point where it's it's a very big difference and to do that in front of live in front of a crowd when people are doing this mm-hmm. and they're, you know and it's there's a lot of pressure and that's where i feel the most like i don't know i i my seminars for me like if anybody has come to my seminars before i hope that this is the same as what they feel but it's it's a very like magic it's just a magical place i just fall in love with the capturing the group because you got to work the group you got to work these seven oh yeah you know you get there's there's an art to it for sure 100 percent. and i really enjoy that i I, because it's a challenge to Mm -hmm. get that many people engaged to watch a person because I, I had i went out for drinks with michael ellis uh, a couple years ago in california and he said he said you know good dog training is really boring facts yeah and i said yeah i and I, I i get that like if you really break it down like you said with the e-collar magic mm-hmm. you know system or whatever people are gonna make that's it it's like that's all i've ever been doing mm-hmm. what, what do you mean but to put on a show and to entertain people and get their money's worth while they're there is something that I'm, I'm, I challenge myself. And then there's the people who I feel like aren't having a good time that I'm really like. And, and you know, as you know, after the fact, they're like, this was the best. You know, it's great. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay. But it really pushes you and you feel like people are like that. And so, um, and then there's people like, I get very, ins- mm, I get very, um, motivated when there's other trainers there which i would say 70 percent of my audience for audits are are trainers and that's where i really get excited because i sit back i'll sit next to them and be like you go out there and see what you can do i'm like what do you think and you know they're like well they won't touch the dog but i'll i'll put them on the spot mm-hmm. not in a bad way right right but i'll say hey you you three over there from N- netherlands what what did you did you guys see anything? Because from this angle, I didn't see the growl or the lift of the lip or the tail flick. I'm like, did you see? And I involve like, so throughout the whole process, I, I, I involve every, I pull everybody in right. across the room and I'm, and I'll kind of like a musician will be like, Oh, 
you know, everyone over here, scream this way, and everyone, and I'll pull people in, and I love it. You have to have a good time. Yeah. You have to laugh. You have to joke around. You have to have a good time, or it's brutal sitting. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, you know, and I've been to those where it's like, I can't, I can't come back a second day and sit through this. This is horrible, right? There's no reason why it shouldn't be a good time and still get the work done. Because sitting on that end, it's very difficult for people to sit there all day and focus and pay attention, especially if they have their own dog with them. Yeah. That's where that attention goes. That's why a lot of times I tell people you're going to get so much more out of an audit spot. Yeah. Right? Because the most valuable thing you're going to take if you have a working spot, there's a good chance it's not even going to come from you and your dog. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn something watching someone else with their dog. You know yeah. what I mean? So there is a lot. But you speak of Michael Ellis, right? He's had such an impact on both sides of the world sport dog world and pet dog world but like i'm supposed to go to australia and i keep telling them why guys like i i, I loved it there but I'm a, i feel like i can't provide any value that you already have now he's in australia now you see the turnout he has how are you supposed to go follow that <laughs> like yeah. it's, he had a massive turnout right he's a brilliant teacher i went out in 2011 i think to work with michael just over the weekend e-collar stuff and it, it was more about under, learning how he teaches. Concepts. I wanted to see what kind of place he was training. That's when I was thinking about maybe getting a, 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 a place. What's his place look like? How is mm. he function? How is he teaching? Because he's such a great teacher, right? Mm. But he's such a humble guy, such a likable guy. And then I pull in, and it's when he just had his place in like an industrial area in a garage. I was like, oh, my God, you don't need that much. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But that's about the time where I really started focusing on the human end of things and trying to become a better teacher, you know. And I think, you know, and I always mention the big three. I think people in the pet dog world, if you're not trying to consume Ivan Balabanov, Bart Ballone, and Michael Ellis, I think you're really hurting yourself quite a bit. I think Michael Ellis has been the easiest for the everyday pet dog trainer to consume and learn from. Right, the simplicity of, of using markers and luring and, and, and using food, he's had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. Like a huge influence on so many people, and I'm not even sure if he knows that. You know what I mean? Maybe if he did, he wouldn't be as good as he is. Maybe. You know, he would be, it would be, I don't think it would ever change him because if you've been around Michael even for five minutes, you're like, oh, you're just a, you know, he super doesn't, super nice guy. He just doesn't care yeah, at all. Super nice guy. He's a great guy. He, um, when we went out, uh, I was in Santa Rosa and we, I went to his, um, facility with Forrest and it was just funny. He was doing this decoy thing and he took off after the fact, he took off his, um, scratch pants, had jeans on like, you know, new balance shoes. He's like, let's go get, let's go get lunch. And we all went to this Peruvian <sighs> restaurant and we had like sangria and it was a lot of fun. I've, I've. I always want to, but like you said, it's hard when you're so, you got to find the time to be a student. But I, I will truthfully say that when I am working with dogs, I try to pull something away every time. That's why I think I'm able to continue to sharpen my tool sets because every, I don't, I mean, it can become redundant. I mean, you're like, okay. Look, you, you have to, uh, me competing with, with my dog, with Dante, you know, now I have to pay attention to little things that I didn't care about before, mm -hmm. you know, look, I could, 
I could raise and create a really awesome dog, well-behaved dog that does really cool things, right? Really cool things. I can have the best of both worlds. But now to put it into a system where you have to go out and do that and the precision has to be there, one of the things I've loved most is learning about tracking. I had no knowledge of tracking. I had no interest in it. I never wanted to do it. When I started, I hated it. But when I started seeing things click for the dog, not that he has to learn how to track. He already knows how to track. Yeah. Right? We have to learn how not to fuck up his tracking. And the first time, you know, that dog hit a corner or the first time that dog downed on, on an article, I was hooked. I was mm. like, oh, this is the That's greatest cool. thing in the world. But then I also realized, yeah, he's got a great sniffer on him, but when it comes down to it, this is still obedience. Mm-hmm. It's still obedience. And I'm not excelling yet because I'm so worried about messing the dog up. So there's always something that you have to tackle, you know? I yeah. went through, I've used multiple people in learning about tracking, multiple. And I've made it very clear. It's not because I think one's better than the other. I wasn't happy with the last one. Every single one of them I've learned something valuable from. So if I'm obsessed with learning something new, I want to learn from all the best people. And everyone has provided something different to me, but in a very beneficial way, not conflicting. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's just how I like to learn. But that's that's just well, how I am. It's important to to do that. Like if you're not, and we said this earlier, if you're not learning, that's where you hit that wall. Sure. And you kind of mentioned earlier too about, like I had a, he was a, he took a, he's a certified dog trainer through this, I, I can't remember, one of the online things. And he was my client, um, actually from Cape May, New Jersey. And he just took notes the whole time. And I was, you know, again, having imposter syndrome and being insecure about making sure I'm doing the best job because I do care tremendously about mm-hmm. the, the things that people take away from my program because it, it's important to me, you know? Uh, and I, at the end, and he's like, this was, he goes, I've watched, you know, so many of your videos and listened to your podcast. He goes, seeing this in person was so, you know, like much more beneficial than, and I was like, oh, good. And I just yeah. care so much about that. And once you stop caring, I don't know. I don't know if that's good. Yeah. Time to pack it in then. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So right now you're, you're, your business right now, you're doing in-homes, and you're kind of making your own schedule. Yeah. How do you, when people are emailing you all this stuff, like, what's your, my wife is, again, I told you, like, runs the company. Yeah. What is, is your wife, is, is she part of your company, no. or she just no, not, gives you advice? Yeah, she'd kill me if she worked with me. She gives me advice right. all the time, yeah. And I told her, look, she's she's very successful in business. She's great at what she does. Um. But I said, if you ever wanted to do it, you know, I'll let you fill out an application and I'll <laughs> bump you towards the top. I can't promise you anything. Just get this. <laughs> but I said, if you wanted to do that, I would do that. Where she just runs the business, and right. if you wanted to grow and you want to do things, I'm you just you know I'm all. But I, I she likes what she does. She's very good at what she does. But I wouldn't be surprised if someday she is handling that stuff for me. You know, because she works way too much. Works very very hard. And there comes a time where you just say, okay, enough. And this is what I try to tell her. That if I were to do something like, uh, you know, I made a good living as a federal agent, right? I made good money. There were a lot of perks to it. But that first check I received from training a dog with my name on it, like my business, that was the most incredible feeling ever. 
that's a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Like you just feel different, right? And what I told my wife is you can make a ton of money, right? But if you leave your job making good six figures and you go do something you love making less than half of that, you're going to be happier. Mm-hmm. By the way, that first check I got, by the time I got home and walked through the door, that person called to cancel it because they really couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> so those are things people don't understand, right? Wow. I was on cloud nine, three chihuahuas, my first paying client. Yep, it was, it was a tough sell. And by the time I walked home, we didn't have cell phones back then. I walked in, the home phone rang, she apologized. Wow. Somebody, she just can't afford it. I was like devastated, man devastated that uh, is interesting yeah she's like yeah no i i'd rather them be crazy yeah she j- and she could and i was shoot i was super cheap you know she just didn't have any money how do you how do you get how do you move your like the ladder on pricing for you because i remember when i did my first dog training it was twenty dollars an hour like twenty dollars for the first session and i was so insecure about that dude when i used to hand someone a form with the prices i used to be like cringing mm-hmm. like you know, if this is too much let me know what works it used to bother <laughs> yep. me 100 it used to bother me and even today still i feel like my prices are so high even though they're not even close to being the highest around mm-hmm. but back then the busier i was getting my wife said you have to raise your prices like she and she's in marketing she's a marketing director like you're, you you you're too busy you have to raise your prices and it was hard for me to do but every time i raised my prices i got busier every time Every time, you know, it's like that makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, if you if you study marketing and all this, I, which I don't, but like, it's a it's a taboo to put your prices on your website for a lot of people, and I get it, right? I do. My prices are there. I want people to know. Don't call me if you don't know. Yeah, and that's just the way I. I don't want to. I'm I'm no longer into trying to sell you something. You know what I mean? And I used to. That's the part of the business that I used to hate trying to sell you on taking my services and doing the free in-home demo and all that. I hated it, right? That first time, I'll never forget, it was it was when I stopped doing in-home demonstrations. I had a lady call me. She wanted an in-home demonstration. She was having problems. I said, ma'am, I said, I am four months behind. I cannot help you on in-home demonstrations. She said, if I sign up right now over the phone, will you take me on? I said, absolutely. And she did, and I never did another in-home demonstration again. And I was much happier. I never did another trade show. I never worked the street corners because I had made enough name for myself to where I didn't have to. I just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think anyone cared or noticed, right? But they did. They did. And I never had to leave the house again and do that. That made me a lot happier, right? But now when I'm laying on my recliner and I'm like 15 minutes, I got this person coming to my house. I'm like, oh, this sucks. And my wife's like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I know, <laughs> yeah. I, I know, but that's just how it goes, you know? Yeah. So what are your, do you have, like, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing? Do you have plans to do anything different or are you just feeling it out? I just, I, when I feel like changing, I do, right? I stopped doing private lessons for a long time. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Then I missed it. So I started doing private lessons again and I'm loving the coaching aspect of it. I'm actually, I'm absolutely loving it, but Doing the online stuff has made me, and I think I was pretty good coach in person, private lessons, but doing the online stuff has made me even a better coach in person Mm -hmm. because I had to get very specific things from people online in videos and stuff for me to see what they're doing so I can make changes. 
So now doing that in person, oh my gosh, man, it's it it makes it cake. It's just so much easier. Yeah, you know, and we have a good time. I I responded to a guy's video yesterday who's having aggression issues with his dog, and he I said, okay, these are the videos I need. Yeah, and he sent me videos right away, and I watched them, and I replied back to him, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. I said, thanks so much first for getting them to me so quick, and I said, you know, you're awful. You're doing everything wrong. This is amazing <laughs> because. We're going to be able to help you so fast. Yep. Like the second you make changes, we're going to see drastic change, right? Because mm -hmm. what you're doing makes no sense to the dog. And that's what I tell people when they come for a private lesson and they get out of their car and I have them work their dog, I tell them you're doing everything wrong. And they get upset. And no, no, that's great. It's a good thing. Because if you're doing everything right and we have these problems, now where do we start? So this is going to be easy. Yeah. This is going to be easy. I start changing you your dog's going to change it's just that unfortunately the way you're communicating with your dog makes no sense to the animal yep and then when you could show them right what they're doing they're like oh my god that makes so much sense I'm like absolutely absolutely this is gonna be great we're gonna have a good time and i make fun of them and we have fun and we laugh at each other you know what i mean you have to you have to you have to be able to do that because when the dog is having a good time they learn much easier <laughs> But when the human's having a good time, they learn much easier also, mm -hmm. you know? And I tell people at seminars, like, look, you come with a bad dog to a seminar, I know what kind of stress you're under. No one's going to judge you. Everyone has the same stress. Yeah. And when you come out here to work your dog, you're going to be a little dumber. Your dog's going to be a little dumber. You're going to be stressed. You're going to screw up immensely. Yeah. You're going to screw up with one dog. I may screw up with 10 dogs. Mm-hmm. Right, it's normal. No one cares. No one cares. Don't worry about it. You yeah, know? That's I, it. I always make people verbally say out loud as a group. I'm like, we're all here to support each other, right? And so some people be, you know, you hear people. I say, no, 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 you know, because I want the working spot people sure. exactly. Because I can't imagine what it's like. To I've have been there. I've done that. That burden of dude. I've done it. It's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard, man. Because it it is, and then there's cameras, and yeah, it's a lot. It One is. thing you said that I've used over the years was, and I still use it, because there's some things that stay in my toolbox and some things that I replace. And one of the things that you said a long time ago, I think on a Facebook Live maybe, I can't remember, you said, we never, as dog trainers, we never have enough time with the dog. Right. And you said that, I think it was about board and trains, where you're saying, look, you know, even as trainers, we spend four weeks, six weeks with the dog. There's always more we can do. There's always better we can get. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. What do you, what suggestions and advice would you give any dog trainer that's starting off with their career and they're trying to make a living doing dog training as a dog trainer? What, what advice would you give that person? A lot of people start it the way I did. They have another job, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to train dogs full time. I tell them, don't quit your job yet. Get good at what you're doing. Take your time with the dogs. Yeah. Because the better, the slower you go, the faster you're going to get good. Yeah. And when that happens, people are going to request you. And it won't be long before you can do it full time. Like 100%. But what people do is you see how many really young people come into this industry, right? They leave their jobs. They start this full time long before they know very much. And then 
they have so much pressure because they'll go work for a company and you have to get this dog out of here in two weeks. We got more dogs come in. We have huge bills to pay. We yeah. got employees to pay. So it's a, it's, a, it's a conveyor belt. You know, it's an assembly line. And they never get to learn anything. They just go in through the same motion, spitting this dog out. They get their hour, go home lesson, that's it. And then what happens, a lot of the young people get totally burnt out and they're just unhappy. I know because I talk to a lot of them, mm -hmm. but they can't leave because they have nothing to fall back on, right? As to where if they just took their time and truly learned with each dog, because you can learn a ton with each dog, within each dog. I used to do two-week two board and trained a long time ago. Once I went to three weeks and I saw the difference, what happened to the dog in that third week over the second, holy crap, it's light years. Yeah. Like, Things click and the dog changes in week three. Yep. Right? Then you start to really, really getting what you want from the dog and in a wonderful way. Right? The dog is yours. Now that dog believes it's yours. Mm -hmm. Right? So by the time you're in that fourth week, now you're able to really proof things and do different things and do different places, go to different places, and you have so much more impact on that animal but where you also don't feel the pressure every day, I have to get this done, I have to get this done, you don't have to put the pressure on the dog, right? That's why when I took it to the next level and I said, here, take your dog, no go-home lesson. They're like, what? Yeah, that's it. And then when I do work with people, whether it's private lessons and boarding trains, I get a lot of people that say my clients don't do their homework. They blame the client for the failure, right? And I'll say, you may have heard me say this before, but I feel it's important. A few years ago, I was one of the speakers at the IACP, and there was a trainer who had some questions about the e-collar. There was a lot of confusion, and he wanted some help. So I started explaining to him. I said, you know what? Let's just go work. And we found a big area, and I took out the e-collar, and I was treating him like he was a client, and a lot of other trainers gathered around. And I worked with him just like I would a client, right? I put the e-collar on him. I taught him timing mechanics. We talked about it. We answered a lot of questions. Before we were done, I became the dog, so I knew if he had a good grasp on things. And everyone was so happy and grateful, and we broke off. About two hours later, I called him, and I said, meet me down at the same spot. And he came back, and all the same people showed up, and I put the e-collar on myself. I gave him the remote. I said, go ahead and start working me. And he kind of just stared at me. He's like, why? I said, go ahead and start working me. And this is two hours ago we met. And he hesitated. He didn't know what to do. And my point was, I said to everyone there, I said, now I heard a lot of you all weekend talking about how you have lazy clients and they won't do the work you ask them to do. I said, they're not lazy. They're overwhelmed. And they don't know. They don't learn that fast. Now, we just went over this two hours ago when you're a dog trainer. And you can't remember what to do. And people are like, oh, fuck. So what I give people is something really basic. I asked them, do me a favor, give me five minutes twice a day on the obedience. And they're like, that's it? I'm like, that's it. Give me five minutes twice a day on the obedience. And something very simple. I said, if you want to do 10, great. But give me five minutes twice a day. And I promise you, by the end of the week, it's going to pay off. I said, but there's a catch. That catch is you have to give me 24-7 inside the home. That means we replace the bad habits with good habits. We follow all the rules and boundaries that we set, and we change what got your dog to me in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's the catch, 24-7. You're not doing any extra work inside the home, but you certainly can't do what you were doing before. And then the obedience, spend time playing with your dog, little formal obedience, and we're going to be okay. You know, So I keep it to where they can't fail. They can't.
Yeah. Right? It's very, very simple. First lesson, first private lesson, I tell. I just posted a private lesson the other day. It was an hour long. I didn't think anyone would watch it. I was blown away by the feedback. And one of the things you hear me tell this owner is you're not going to retain anything from today. Nothing. Like very little. We're going to keep it simple, but you're still not going to retain much. Don't worry about it. You go home. I'll interact with you every day. You're going to mess it up. When we meet next time, we'll go over what you messed up from the first week, and we'll add a little more, and you'll retain just a little bit more. Third week, same. By the fourth time we meet, now I'm going to be able to start pushing you a little bit. It will start clicking. Mm -hmm. So don't kill yourself trying to physically remember. It's going to click, but it's going to be foreign for a while. Mm -hmm. promise you. Okay? That's really important. Yeah. Because a lot, you're right. A lot of dog owners get overwhelmed. They don't know. No. Things we take for granted doesn't make sense to them. No. They, it just doesn't, like, we take, and I, I find myself guilty sometimes even with people like this simple, basic, listen, I coach kids sports a lot. My, my son, my daughter, right? My daughter was playing basketball when she was young. She, she did it for me, right? She had no interest in playing basketball. First time I ever coached girls, I was scared to death. Well, I remember my daughter's never played sports, and she's running down the court, and I'm yelling at her, you know, get back, get back, and I'm yelling, and she's not paying attention to me. She's not doing anything different, and then finally, she stops in the middle of the court. She throws her hands up. She looks at me in front of her, and she goes, I don't know what that means, mm -hmm. and everyone busted out laughing, right? <laughs> and I was like, okay, get back is pretty common, like yeah. you would. But she didn't know. We do that to dog owners every day. Everyone got a good chuckle about it. You know what I mean? We're like, mm -hmm. okay, fair enough. She don't know what I'm saying. That's as basic as it gets to me. But I grew up playing basketball my whole life. Yeah. It didn't make sense to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. So you learn. You learn. And I coach kids a lot. You learn. Boy, you have to be pretty specific, you know, and guide them through things. Yeah, and I think if they don't get it, that's where, like, there's a talent that comes into play where you can switch it and go, okay, because you can see when the dog owner doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I'm talking, and I'm like, so you see how the dog, you're get, you know, you're holding your arm up, and the dog's trying to figure out what you're saying, and, you know, what if somebody grabbed you like this and started tugging you around without any context? And you're like, what do you want? You're like, oh, nothing. Well, then what are you doing? And things like that. And then if they're like, you can see him kind of like, I'm like, Okay, well, what about, and I'll just, I'll go down like another road. And, mm -hmm. and that's where like a lot of the analogies start getting pulled from is, is I'll just go down that road to try to Rubik's cube it in. Well, it's important that you point those things out to people, right? The other day I was working with a lovely lady with a Doberman and um, she couldn't really walk the dog like that great. You know, it was not, not bad. It's a great dog. It's okay. We're going to do some very simple, ancient long line work here. We're going to set up three points. Now, your job, because here's the thing, Tom, most people struggle with doing nothing, right? People have a hard time doing nothing with their dog. Yeah. They have a hard time not looking for their dog, not accommodating their dog, not putting instant leash pressure on the dog. So old school long line stuff, a triangle setup where they're not allowed to acknowledge that the dog is there. Hold the end of the leash. I want you to walk to that spot. Wait 20 seconds. Then you're going to walk to that spot. Wait 20 seconds. And it's hard for them at first. And if I see them do this, I don't look. Don't put that arm. I will break that arm, right? You do nothing. You're walking and there's not a dog with you. Yeah. Well, always the dog starts. There's no leash tension. They fall right into place. And I use that a lot. Mm -hmm. We did that. 
and her dog wouldn't leave her side anymore, right? So now all of a sudden, because she removed all the physical interaction with Mm -hmm. the dog, she removed all the leash tension with the dog, now the dog just wants to walk with her. But then right after that, we go to a different spot, and now we're going to reintroduce the e-collar because I don't like the way it was introduced before, and it's not being effective. So what's the first thing the lady does? She starts moving around, trying to get the dog away from her so she could recall the dog. I said, I want you to stop right there. Why is this a problem? What do you think? She said, she just won't leave my side now. I said, first of all, if the dog won't leave your side, then we're going to start with sending the dog away from you. But let's see things from the dog's eye here, right? Let's see what the dog thinks. What did we do just before this? She's like, oh, geez, this is exactly what we were doing. I said, yeah. So to the dog, we're doing the same thing. So before we wanted the dog to stay with you, and now we come over, we know we're doing something different, and we expect the same from the dog. You constantly have to show the dog what we want. Yeah. The dog doesn't understand this. The dog's doing what it thinks it's supposed to do. So let's change up how the dog sees things. And when you break things down and show people, when you actually show them, they're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm like, absolutely. And then you can continue on and have some success. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, I did that in uh, Canada a couple months ago whenever we were there. This uh, older lady, she's great. She's like, just those clients that are just gems, you know, yeah. like she literally looked at me and she goes, I love you. And yeah. I go, I love you too. This is great. She had this dog and the dog's name is Stephen James and no behavioral quirks, really just kind of bouncy and edgy and like pushing boundaries. And she was just like, what do I do with this? And she kept walking around and she was so like this, like just mm-hmm. so like you know, kind of looking around and had all that tension and, and she just would, yeah. And and I always tell my clients like, all right, I want you to come up here and just stop and just hang out right there. And all every time, almost every time they go to that cone or they go to that area where I said to go and they go, sit, sit. Mm. I go, no, 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 just soak. I call it soaking. I go, just soak there. Just let your dog, like a lot of reactivity that I find once you start breaking through with dogs, um, giving them the opportunity to digest and chew on things mentally sometimes is like the finishing touches because they're the owner's so reactive to their reactivity. And once the dog starts getting better, the owner's still in that, sure. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, so I said, we're in this big horse arena and I said, just drop the leash. So I put the dog in a long line. I said, just drop the leash. She's like, but, and I go, no, 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 just drop. And I knew the dog, you know, just a goofy friendly dog at the worst case scenario, this dog's going to run up and kiss somebody. I said, just drop the leash. She's like, well, and I said, you're good. So she dropped the leash and then she's, and then she takes her body and just kind of like is now she's more into the dog mm-hmm. physically. And I said, you're, I said, no, no, just pretend the dog isn't there. Just walk same kind of similar thing. I just, just walk from here to there and back and forth. And it took her a little bit to stop doing this. And I said, you don't even have a dog with you right now. Technically there's no leash in your hand. I said, just stop. Cause she was so on the leash mm-hmm. that she couldn't, stop it and I said it's damaging your relationship because you don't know how to be with just with your dog she dropped the leash and long story short she ended up after like the fourth or fifth go around the dog would just follow her around and you're like see that's all you need to do so sometimes that creates conflict we always do the people want to push the dog away we're always trying to to appease the dog and get the dog's attention and beg it to do things right not a problem like with the doberman i just had one day she i decided hey come on let's go remy she decided i don't want to go in 
Well, I'm not going to beg her. Hey, not a problem. I shut the door and I watch her from outside. She was like, what just happened? You know, now she's over at the door and she's scratching. And I literally waited and I cracked it open. And I said, can I help you? And she's just looking at me. I'm like, no, sorry, I'm not interested. And I shut the door. You know, she's panicking, like, leave the dog. Play hard to get. Yeah. Do the opposite of what you think is correct. Mm-hmm. But the human being, especially the everyday dog owner, we're constantly begging for our dog to give a shit about us. Yeah. We're accommodating the dog left and right. We're always pushing ourselves on the dog. It has to be the opposite. The dog should be looking, hey, where are you? Where yeah. are you going, right? That's why that simple, ancient, long line work is so effective. Yeah. The first time the dog hits the end and corrects itself and finds, oh, my God, they're going the other way. Now, for the first time ever, the human's not doing anything to create tension. and don't allow them to, right? I just want yeah. your arms down. But now, for the first time, your dog has to look to see where you're going. Mm-hmm. It's never happened before. This whole, the whole dog's life, it's been the same thing. The leash goes on, you grab it with a death grip, there's tension, the dog pulls, you follow. The dog pulls, you follow. That's it. So you're taking your dog for a walk, and you're rewarding it constantly for what you don't want. Why would I said to some, I said to a client the other day, she's having these problems, and I asked her, this is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. No walking your dog. Because it makes no sense to walk your dog if you can't. And she was walking her dog. And finally I said to her, let me ask you a question. Why is it more important for you to walk your dog than it is to train your dog? And she was just silent. She goes, ooh, that hit home. you got to put that time into training and playing and enjoying your dog, teaching your dog. Yeah. That walk is for you, not the dog. And that walk is hurting everything. It's hurting your relationship. It's hurting the training. Go for the walk and enjoy it without your dog. Spend that time that you would with the dog on the walk, struggling, training the dog. And I guarantee you, if you do this, what I'm asking you to do, one week from now, you'll be able to walk your dog. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. It's like, okay, all right. But that's part of teaching. That's part of the whole process, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's just a leash in general. They, dogs don't have an opportunity to make choices. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of do this. And one of the coolest things I've learned about leash pressure in general just like the fundamental psychology of leash pressure for some dogs who put on the brakes or are nervous and insecure about moving forward with somebody they don't know or somebody they do know, their owners, is the long line. You just put the dog on a long line because people will like sit here and do tug of war and the dog's like you know, not moving. And you just put a long line on and just start walking away. And the dog's like, wait for me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's it. That's the, print. That's the psychology behind it yep. is you're, you're battling this thing. And then the moment you're like, never mind. Hard to get, like you said. Yeah. It's really important. What do you think about questions I get all the time, and I'm just genuinely interested to hear your response. How do you find, if somebody's out there looking for a dog trainer, how do you go, how do you feel between the bullshit? Like, what are red flags for you, for for somebody looking for a dog trainer to help them? Specifically, I'd like to say for behavior, because that's one of the hardest things. And that's why I end up with clients um, that have gone through two or three other trainers. And sometimes it's them, but mm-hmm. other times they're, maybe somebody wasn't honest with them. Yeah, uh, man, it's, it's, it's really tough, you know. I, I have a letter that I guess keeps getting shared around because someone asked, it was a young trainer that asked, you know, what, what do I do, what do I look for, how do I get to this? And, and I just wrote a response, and for some reason people liked it, you know. Um, 
I used to be very careful about recommending trainers. I'd only, like, I far and few in between because that's a big responsibility. And then some of the trainers that I really trusted and respected weren't who I thought they were. And that really bit me in the ass, mm-hmm. right? So now when someone asks me for, you know, can you recommend a trainer? Who, man, I'm so hesitant to do that. Like, I'm so hesitant. But as far as what to look for, it's really hard, you know? Is the guy or girl a used car salesman? Mm. They do a lot of talking. Is it constant? Are they trying to sell you on something? Are you seeing just a lot of before and afters? Are you seeing any of the work? Look for the work. Look for their dogs. What do their dogs behave like, right? Now, that's something people take for granted, right? Mm -hmm. So when I went out last year and hung out with Robert Cabral, and I'm going to see him next year, like me and Robert have been friends online for a long time. And he's known as a good dog trainer. And I believed he was a good dog trainer, but you never know. Yeah. But then the second I walked in his house and his Malinois and his Shepherd and his two labs are there, I know exactly what kind of dog trainer he is. Mm. His dogs just told me. Right. Yeah. They're not stuck on a place and barking and trying to bite me and he's not putting them in the other room. I knew exactly what kind of dog trainer he was. And and I was kind of smiling. I was happy. And and he he said something to me like he asked me and and I told him, like, this makes me very happy because I, I know, you know, when I got in your car this morning and your dog jumped in the back and you have a nice Dutchie and she's all cool and no problems. And you went in the store and she's just hanging out with me. And that's important. Right? What do people's actual dogs look like? There's a lot of people out there doing really amazing things business-wise mm. that don't have good dogs. You know, I was with the trainer last year. First time this word has ever came out of my mouth. Someone that I liked and respect for a long time. As a matter of fact, if someone called to say, hey, I'm deciding between you and this person, send my dice. I said, send that. Send it to that person. They're a really good trainer, right? Because I don't put myself on a really high level like that. And then when I was with this person, I wasn't even with them that long. And when I left, I called my wife. And it was the first time these words ever came out of my mouth. I said, man, I'm a really good trainer. Because mm. I was really disappointed what I saw in such a short amount of time. Were you training or you just hanging? Nope, just hanging. Got it. Just hanging. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, I'm blown away. Not everyone is who they seem to be. Sure. Like, there's a lot of bullshit out there. And I'm, I usually have a really good bullshit meter. Look, I wasn't, I was a federal agent for 25 years. Before I was a federal agent, I was complete opposite. Let's just say that. So <laughs> I know bullshit when you see it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this had me fooled. And I was highly disappointed sucks i would have sent people to them in a heartbeat yeah not anymore yeah not anymore not a chance like not a chance so you become so hesitant to believe in anybody yeah and that's why i like to just hang out with people not over dog stuff yeah you know next week me and robert won't be training dogs we'll be going to gold gym venice beach we'll be working out we'll be hanging out we'll be you know going to eat you know, burgers and just have a good time. But we're not going to be doing dog stuff. You know, we, I enjoy being with him. I think he enjoys being with me and we'll have a great time. You know, that's how you really get to know people. But me, when I see someone's dogs, I know like immediately, right? I just, I know immediately. It just, you just, you just know, you know, so that's important. It's hard. There is no easy answer to that. So it'd be making sure, because I have answered that question a little similarly, just seeing like, 
you know, if they have a demo dog or if they have something that they can show you or just, you know, having conversations with people? Because I get that question a lot. Well, it, the most important thing, too, I think, that we didn't touch on just now and people don't tend to do, go see some of their clients. Yeah. Come see some of their dogs a year after they trained them. Yeah. Right? Two years after they trained them. That's something that I'm very big in. The reason yeah. I send follow-ups with my clients, I don't ask my clients, hey, could you send me a video of your dog? They just do it. You know, sometimes seven years after training, yeah, they'll send me a video. I was yes. like, this is beautiful. Thank you. Can I share it? And then I'll, hey, guys, remember, you remember Duke and Herc? Yeah. Two dogs that were killing each other inside the home? Well, they never had another fight until one of them died peacefully, and they lived like this the whole time. Mm -hmm. And here's the video of them sending it to me. I love that. Yeah. Because, and then when I get praise for that, I say, no, 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 no. That was 10% me. Yeah, yeah. That was 90% owners, if not more. I just provided them the education. I told them what to stop doing, what to start doing, how to do it. Yeah. Now, we take two dogs that were killing each other. There was never one physical punishment to either dog for that behavior, ever. Not because I'm anti-punishment, I'm force-free, I'm not. But that had nothing to do why the dogs were killing each right. other. All of that was being created inside the home within the living arrangements, the little things that the human doesn't pay attention to, the little things they allow, the little things they don't stop. Yeah. That's why it is so easy to almost always stop those behaviors because when the human changes the bad habits, the dogs change very quickly, almost always. Yep. Almost always. The obedience is secondary. It's part of it. The time you spend inside those four walls with those dogs is the most vital thing you're going to do, mm -hmm. plain and simple. And no one will ever convince me otherwise because I know a lot of super highly trained sport and, and, and working dogs that are unbelievably trained obedience-wise that can't be around any human being outside mm -hmm. of their handler. That's not a dog I have interest in. Right. Right. Same. It's not a dog I have interest in, you know? Yeah. And I think, too, it's it's a self-correcting thing, like you said. That's why when people come in with a behavioral problem, bite history or whatever, I'm like, I just want you to heal from here to here, you know, maybe 10 feet, 20 feet. And they can't. So, A, I'm like, your obedience is your communication with your dog. Like, we teach children the ABCs and all this stuff. It's to communicate. And dogs communicate in other ways, including the leash. So, so that's the first problem. And the fact that you're doing all these like clickings and, and all these things and the dog's just like, and I'm like, there's so much going on here. And that's why I think people who focus on dog trainers who focus on that tend to yield more results because when I train, and again, five years ago, I, I had something to prove. Because I, I, I started to become popular on YouTube and all the other older dog trainers, the gatekeepers that we were talking about earlier were pissed about it. And they were like, this guy. And they probably still are, and I don't care. But uh, I was like, you know what? I, you know, and I would train the dog. Now what I do is I'm not interested in handling the dog much. I'll, I'll do it to, to show them like, hey, you know, that turn that you did there when you turned and you weren't really committed, you need to put your, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But now I'm at a point in my career where I just want to, I say Pinocchio, where I'm like, I want to train you to train your dog because that's the most, in my opinion and experience, the most sustainable thing that you can do. Because you have to. Have to. Like, it's not even an option to me. Like, like you have to. There's no question about it, right? There, there's, 
the people that are still focusing on the dog, well, look what the dog did for me. That's nothing. doesn't matter. It's supposed to do that for you. You're yeah. a dog trainer. Exactly. Right? You want to show your talents. You're going to have to show it with the human. Yeah. And some people are much harder than others. It's like, listen, half my seminars now are filled with, with Malinois that want to bite and kill everything. And when they bite, they won't out. Or if you choke them off and out, they're going to turn on the owner. Why? Because dog sports are getting very popular, and that's a great thing. That's a good thing. But there's dogs being bred that shouldn't be bred. Mm -hmm. And then you're giving a high-powered dog, you know, a high-level Belgian Malinois, a working-line German Shepherd, that comes out of the womb wanting to bite everything. And when a young trainer gets into any kind of club setting and they start doing cool things, which, again, I'm 100% for. I think it's amazing. We need more of that. But when the dog starts biting things, they get excited and there's an adrenaline and there's a high. And then that's all they focus on. And the ego gets very big. Mm. I see this. What they don't understand is you didn't teach the dog that. It's doing that on its own. And unfortunately, you're not teaching the dog how not to do that. You want to be impressive? Show me that dog that wants to bite anything that doesn't bite anything until you tell it to. And then show me a dog that you let bite like an alligator, but as soon as you tell that dog to out, he spits out whatever it has in his mouth. Mm -hmm. It's getting harder and harder to find. Mm -hmm. Harder and harder to find. And I deal with that every single seminar. Every single seminar. And that's a scary thing. Again, it's amazing for young trainers to get into the sports. We need more of it, right? But you have to focus on control and education of those high-level animals also. But if you have people teaching those young trainers that don't have that and can't do that, it's a vicious circle, right? It's a vicious circle. Mm-hmm. That's, just, uh, that's just my thing. You know, my, I don't put my dogs on tiebacks to bite. A lot of people will say that's wrong, right? You need to build, and I get it. I don't give dog sport advice because I haven't done anything in the sport world. But I've never needed to. Yeah. Like, my dogs love doing this stuff with me. Whatever I do with my dogs, I don't care if I'm sitting on the porch sipping whiskey, they love that, doing nothing, being with me. Yeah. But if we go to do something cool, they love that too, right? And so for me, it's great to be able to turn a dog on, but you have to be able to turn a dog off. And taking a strong dog... And making it look strong, it's just not impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Take a weak dog and make it strong. That's impressive to me. Mm-hmm. And that's getting harder and harder to find. You know, very, very hard to find. Yeah, especially with people, just bad, um, unethical breeders. There's a lot of it. That's, I think that's, that's, where the, that's where the source of this comes from. Mm-hmm. The movies that come out and then, again, you know, like you said earlier, and I'm, I'm, I agree with you and I've said before, it's really cool to see some of these people do really cool shit with these working dogs. But when I see it on TikTok and it's got a million views, I'm like, oh, shit, this is not good. Mm-hmm. Because people don't realize the amount of work, the genetics behind that dog, and that's a professional and they're supposed to be doing that stuff. But what I've, yeah, and I've seen that a lot. I'm good sure you good breeders seen. should be worshipped. They should. Should be worshipped. I've seen the the, uh, the Tibetan Mastiffs are becoming popular, and I don't think any pet owner, just in my opinion and my experience, work the same thing with boar bulls. I'm like, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful. You're giving somebody a loaded gun, potentially, you know, and I don't know if you've 
seen that recently, just the bigger, and I think it's a personality too. There's certain, there's a particular person I find that gets this dog. They get the Caucasian shepherds and the, and just these Anatolians and these Mm -hmm. huge dogs. And they're the type of person that just wants to have them to say that they have them, to look Mm -hmm. like they have them. And then it's hard because the reason they got them maybe was perpetuated by their ego. And then they hire a dog trainer that needs to talk them off that ledge of like, Mm. you're not who you think you are because your dog is showing that you're not who you think you are. Sure. And that's a real problem. But I think that's the source really is the breeding. Yeah. That's that's a big, important part of it. Like a 75 year old person that doesn't like to do much wants a Malinois. The breeder has no problem with that. That's, that's not good. Yeah. Or they give them two puppies. Oh Yeah. That should time. be illegal. <laughs> it's terrible. It should be illegal. But it's hard because even I, I know somebody personally that had to end up with two two siblings, and they they are already to the point where they feel too bad to get rid of it. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think um, one thing I want to say before we wrap it up because I I'd really like to go get lunch with you before we yeah. have to send you back. Absolutely. Is, um. I really, like I said, I wanted to have you on because you're so good at what you do. And I think more people need to know about you who, who don't already know about you because of your ability to break things down so simply and so uh, easy to digest. And that's something I really strive for myself in my own career. So, A, I appreciate you coming here because I know what it's like to be away from your family. And I know firsthand, even when I was waiting for you at the airport yesterday, I was on my ring camera watching my wife and my son walk away on their stroller. And I was like, I want to be there. So I I appreciate it because I know the sacrifices um, and hopefully this, you know, sees hundreds of thousands of people and it inspires them to be, you know, hopefully a better person, even better dog trainer maybe. But so I appreciate you coming on here. And then second to that, if you can just end with maybe how to, how to deal with the hardships of, of being a dog trainer, of, of feeling that responsibility of helping people. And like we talked about before of trying to, somebody has a problem and you're like, man, I really want to help them because you have a very cool opportunity because you can shut down cause it's you. Yeah. And you know, somebody like me, like I couldn't necessarily shut down. And right. the advice that you got from that individual trainer, um, about putting out fires is really true. And I, yeah. and again, I've, I've done a really good job about protecting myself like you can't get to me unless this place is on fire yeah i don't know about anything because i said if we're going to get at scale i need to be protected because i'm a little bitch when it comes to that stuff i really like because it'll it'll take me i'm like okay so then we're not going to film and then i'm not going to be able to train i won't be able to do anything because i'm so invested into this one thing you know so just overall advice about how larry crone would would deal with um you know just social media and, and ha, it being overwhelming and, and how you do such, I'm just, again, envy how you're able to just not care. And also just also be a successful businessman, be a successful mm-hmm. dog trainer and do all the things that you can do. What advice would you give somebody? Uh, well, first, thank you for the kind words. I truly appreciate it, Tom. And I, I appreciate the, the invite very much. So thank you. I never take that stuff for granted. I, someone thinks you're enough to spend time with and talk to. That's not, I never get used to that, but I also never take it for granted, so it's very much appreciated. Look, when you're young and you're doing this stuff, you're going to try to race to get to the end. You want to get to a certain point right, where you think everyone has all there is to have. right? 
lot of these young people, if they look at me, they look at you, that's where they think they want to be. And that may be great, but enjoy the process. Learn how to say no and learn from the best. Focus on your education first. Pay yourself first, right? I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan, and I used to study a lot of financial stuff. Pay yourself first because you have to be able to separate yourself. If you're just saying yes, there's millions and millions of dogs and people that need help. It will never stop, and you will hate this industry with a passion. And the burnout rate in this industry is so high because there's more business than everyone can handle. So I've always told people, I know I'm in a different situation. I'm not an idiot. I get to be selective on who I work with. I know people have bills to pay, and you have to take on everybody, right? When you're in that position and you have to do that, keep your overhead and your responsibilities small because your mental stability is much more important than the size of your facility. I think I just made a rhyme there. We might hmm. have to look back into that, right? But it's really, really important because people are rushing to get to a spot that they don't even know what it's about. Mm. So you have to enjoy the process, right? I think if I had to guess, I think um, my wife bought me Dante as a surprise. It was a retirement gift. I didn't want Dante. I wasn't looking for another puppy. I think three dogs was too much. I'd like to be down to one dog, right? Maybe two. We're a two-dog family. I haven't had that in a long time. Um, she bought me Dante as a surprise because, for one, I, I know the breeder very well, and I know what he breeds, and I've trained one of his other dogs. But I think she was worried about me having too much time on my hands once I retired and getting consumed with this stuff or sitting around and have nothing to do. So I think if I had to guess, she believed at least I'd be able to focus on something with Dante for competition. It was a goal. Mm. You have to have something for yourself. You just can't give all yourself to the business and the industry because it will eat you alive. It will destroy you. So I'm glad to see that where you're at, I didn't know that you're able to have this run the way it is and you're putting that kind of effort into taking your family and stuff. That's the best thing you could have done. Mm. That's what people have to look at, right? So people, I'm very open about my private life. and People say you should have a different account for Packmasters. You should have, I show everything on one thing. This is who I am. It's who I really am when I'm away from my family. It's who I am when you meet me. And it just works for me. doesn't mean everyone has to do that because with that comes a lot of criticism. Yeah. But as we talked about earlier, if you get 10,000, well, you're amazing. Mm. Why do we pay attention to that one jerk off that wants to rip us apart? It's human nature. Yeah. People have to just learn how to ignore that. I think the smartest people don't look at any comments. Yeah. Happiest so, people. That's it. Probably. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Appreciate it, Larry. Where can people find you best? Uh, right here on this couch right now. Yeah, come on down. Uh, listen, I do the Instagram thing. I'm terrible at it. That's for young people. <laughs> I do most of my stuff on Facebook. I have the YouTube channel, right? My website is packmasters.com. I don't update it. I'm really, I'm opposite of you, Tom. I am terrible at all that stuff. How I have a business, I have no idea. Because <laughs> so, you're good. <laughs> I must be okay It's something because yeah. no one should pay attention to me because I am terrible at all that stuff. You know what I mean? I'll leave all, all of your stuff in the 
description and, and well, appreciate it. Hey, this has been great. I've enjoyed this conversation. Like we've been talking for a while and could probably talk for hours more and never touch on everything that we yeah. would like to. That's what I was always thinking. I was like, yeah, it's it's uh, three fifteen now. I'd, Holy crap! Yeah, I'd really like to go get lunch with you before we have to get you to the airport. I don't even know if I have time. Well, yeah, maybe because it's Albany. Yeah, I can't believe it's that late. Yeah. Holy smokes! So anyway, I'll leave all that stuff below. But yeah, I appreciate you, man. You got it, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.